Okay, welcome to episode four of the Dimensional Cascade podcast coming at you from Shoreline, Washington. Uh, with me here in the dungeon, I have... Ricky. Tom. Taylor. And I'm Aiden. And this is, unfortunately, the second time we have recorded this episode. And the main reason uh, was a technical error uh, first time when I did not plug in the microphones to the computer. Technical error that wasn't detected until, until we've been talking for two hours straight. Already. Pretty much. <laughs> so, so if we seem a little exasperated and the jokes seem a little strained, uh, it's because it's, it's one week later and we're talking not about time they've been told. the same thing. It yeah. was still funny. <laughs> like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Reroll. Yeah. Yep. So this, uh, yes, this is the reroll episode. Um, the news that we had prepared is no longer so much news. So we're actually going to skip past the news because not much has happened. Um, I think the main news that we've had has been the dwarf book has been released, but we're going to do a special uh, dwarf book review episode. Haven't decided exactly how we're going to do that yet. Um, and until we do uh, watch this space. So skipping the news and rumors. Um, and we have a, a tournament zone. We're going to talk about Sparkle Party Deathmatch 3. Uh, the last scenario, uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. Masters results, um, and we're also going to talk about uh, the Godicon. So half of us went up to Godicon and, and what happened up there. Um, in our hobby horse section, we've got uh, we're going to discuss uh, uh, selecting your army color scheme, which is a special request by um, Alex from our forums. And in the Art of War, we'll be discussing the Death Star. Uh, which is the one part that we haven't talked about first. So you're getting an unedited version of that. Um, all right, cool. So um, we're going to start off by visiting the pit. The pit. The pit. Introducing the challenger coming from Karakate Peaks, weighing in at about 70-ish pounds. The Ratster of Disaster, <laughs> Queen Caretaker. We love you, Queen. Yeah. I want Now, introducing the reigning, defending, Whoa. undisputed Whoa. champion of the pit, also from Karakate Peaks. Belagar Iron Hammer! Yeah. Weighing in at a sturdy 18 stone. <laughs> nice. Okay, so this is the, this is the pit. Um, that was Tom, thank you very much. Our, our resident announcer. <laughs> There's no, what, let's get ready to rumble? Can we get a... Let's get, a, get ready to rumble! Whoa, whoa! Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> yeah, don't eat the microphone. But it's so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so this uh, this is our our new section. We started last episode. Uh, we are going to duke it out between two special characters each episode. Um, the reigning champion from last episode is uh, Belagar Ironhammer. It seemed thematically appropriate to bring Queek Headtaker in and actually give him a run for his money because let's face it. Squishing Skarsnick is not really that difficult. Hey, he had uh, magic face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for all the he good prodded. it did him. He prodded a few times. Okay, so so special rules for for Queek Headtaker. You um, really call him Squeak, did you? <laughs> I really want to call him Squeak. <laughs> squeak Headtaker. <laughs> uh, so he's a Skaven Lord um, with six attacks. 
he gets all the Skaven special rules, so he hates dwarfs, which is relevant for, for this combat. Uh, his two special rules for himself are trophy heads, where he must issue or accept a challenge if one is possible, and uh, adds plus one to both his to hit and to wound dice rolls. And he also has uh, extreme distrust, which is um, about when you take him in the army list, not really relevant for this. Mm -hmm. uh, magic items, this one is awfully relevant, <laughs> is the dwarf gouger, uh, which always <laughs> Sounds wounds. like it might be oh, a good yeah. thing to kill dwarfs with. Yeah, always wounds dwarfs on a roll of two plus, and no armor saves are allowed. So uh, that's pretty nasty. And then his magic armor gives him a three up armor save, and for every successful armor save made in close combat, the armor inflicts a strength five hit against the enemy that struck the blow. So even if you kill him, you might still die. Mm -hmm. All right. So that is Queek. Now we will go through our uh, defending champion. If we can just get his rules up here. So Belagar Ironhammer. Thank you. Tap the there. die. Go back and hit that die. All there right, you go. There we go. All this fancy electronic shenanigans. Okay, so he has um, stat line somewhat similar to most Dwarven Lords. Uh, he's tough five, which is nice. Um, he's wearing Grumrail armor, but that won't help him in this particular situation because he gets no armor save. Uh, he's got the... He, he will get an armor save against Queek's armor. He'll get an armor save against Queek's armor. That's true. That's silly. Yeah. Shut up. Um, <laughs> You're all silly. <laughs> Okay, so he carries an Oath Stone, um, which allows <clears throat> him to make parry saves against the flank and rear, um, but he must always accept a challenge. So I'm guessing there's definitely going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, he's carrying the Hammer of Angrunt, which gives him the Always Strikes first, and plus one bonus to Wound. Uh, he's got the Shield of Defiance, which gives him a four-up ward save and makes him immune to Killing Blow and Heroic Killing Blow. And, and what's that badass special rule call that's going to win it for him? Revenge Incarnate. Revenge Incarnate. Yeah, so... In one turn of combat, he can double his attacks. That's right. So he's either going to win from that, or he's going <laughs> to he's get, get gouged. One of the two. <laughs> going to get dwarf gouged. <laughs> yep. So, um... Aren't we all Do, do the uh, dwarfs hate... Dwarfs uh, do hate Skaven. Yes, inherently. So I'll be re-rolling. Plus, um, dwarfs have, all dwarfs have a plus one strength on the charge. So the way it works here in the pit, we start somewhere around 18 inches apart. And we have to, you know, declare charges as you would in a normal game of Warhammer. So I'm going to be trying to get the charge with Belagar to make use of that plus one strength. Belagar is also stubborn. <clears throat> he is so stubborn. So that means that he's less likely to run away after... Uh, even if he takes uh, more wounds than he deals from Queek. Um, all Enough right. talk. Bring your pretty face to my axe. All right, let's get some. Uh, let's get some fight on here. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good, Tom. Thanks. You, did you be working that all week? Uh, a little bit bumps. in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I drew a little beard on my face. <laughs> With some coal. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Okay, so we've got uh, we've got these two guys about eighteen inches apart in the All pit right. here. Um, we want to roll off for first turn. We got Taylor rolling for Queek, and Tom rolling for Belagar. So Belagar rolls a two and a four for Queek. Queek gets. Would you like to have the first turn? 
I don't think you get the choice. All right, you have the first turn. I guess I'll have the first turn. <laughs> yeah. um, what are you going to do? I don't have his stats in front of me, but it's move six. you yeah, move he, six. He's moved five. Three. Move oh, five, five yeah. Three. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here you go. You can anyway, have his stats. Yeah. Are you, are you going to try and do some math now? Yeah. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor, Taylor can't add. Don't be ridiculous. Give me a minute, man. Your average charge range is about five inches. That's how close you want to get. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You I can, can see that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> You can't make it on this turn. No. <laughs> I wasn't going to try. Yeah. Okay. Come on. What's your move? <laughs> I'm more interested in your move. I'm move three. So I've got about a 10 inch. You've got about 12 inch charge on average. That's the real math. <laughs> <laughs> not not, not <laughs> fake lying. Sn- stop snickering. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I'll just move up. All right. Just Moves up. Move along. Hold on. I have to get around the mic. I move up to right about there. All right. So he's now about 11, 11. inches away. I 11 think Belagar's got 11 inches. Belagar's going to go for it. All right. Go for it, Belagar. All right. Belagar needs an eight. Needs an eight. To get the charge. Rolls a seven. Oh! Okay, Stumbles forward, forward five. five. Okay. Oh, man. Well, I, I think I'm going to charge now. I think All that right. seems like a good idea. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you can right fail. Hold on, You're on, only six speak. inches away. I want revenge for Skarsnick so right. bad. I yeah, made it. You made it. I'm going to issue a challenge. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. That means... Uh, that means you I'm go gonna first. I'm going to go first because I have ASF. I'm going to use my revenge incarnate. So I'm going to take eight attacks. eight attacks. Do you have two more dice by any chance? Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just take those. Okay. Eight attacks. These are, right, are demonic dice. So weapon skill this. eight versus seven, seven. So you're hitting on threes. So I'm hitting on threes. Oh, All right, that's quite a lot of misses. That's a lot of misses. That is only three hits. Wow. Three hits. That's really bad. Eight dice. I, think, I think you just killed Belagar the, right there. With the re- wait, 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 oh, wait, no. wait. Hang on, why do you get... Oh, your hatred re-roll? Yeah, hatred hatred re-roll. I'm re-rolling for hatred. All right, so six. End up with six Six hits. total. That's not All bad. Right. All right, strength five. Strength four. Strength five. four, but plus oh, one to four, wound, Plus right? one to wound. Plus one to wound. So yep. I'm wounding on threes. Come on, Belagar. Oh, Ooh, those are terrible oh, rolls. So really three threes. All right, three wounds. That's still enough to kill him. Three wounds. What do you got? All what right, do you so got? I got what? A three up armor, four. So, so four you, up armor. Yep. Four up armor. Fail them all. Fail all right. them all. Oh. It's failed. Yeah. Failed two. Okay. Right. Two made one. So strength five hit coming at you. Yeah. Okay. Strength five hits coming at me. So, Tough five. Four up. Rolls a two. Nah, all right. So there. so quick takes two wounds. And now gets to fight back. Six attacks. No, is it a you? T- is it an attack for each one you save? An attack for each one you save. Each one you save. I'll take those dice So you can do another attack. No, no, he only saved one. Yeah, he, take, he, he took two one, wounds. Yeah. So he's down to one. Okay. Good okay. thing you rolled really Come bad. Come on, Queek. All right, six attacks from Queek. Screw it up, Queek. Uh-oh. I don't think I will. Roll, re-roll the hatred. So he got five hits already. Yeah, I only missed once. So I'll re-roll that one. Turned it into a two and still miss. Okay, mm-hmm. so five attack, five hits back. Always wounds on a two. Two plus. The dwarf gouger. Oh, oh one. okay. A one, so four. Four, I should live. Statistically, I should live. Oh, now you say it. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, so I don't get any on the save, but I've got my four upward save from the shield of... Of shenanigans. Shield of dwarfiness. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I need to make two saves. Oh, he he does. Three. I made okay. three oh. saves. Take one All right, wound. so I've ah, taken one quick. wound. 
Okay, yeah, so so quick charged and did one wound, and Belagar did two wounds, so it's a tie. Okay, all right. Now Belagar is swinging again. Swinging again. Only four attacks. Only four attacks. On threes. It's more like it. Hit three. Hit three, and then on threes again. And I'm wounding on threes. Oh, all, all three. All. All. Man. all right. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, come on, quick. So you got to make three saves. Four up. <laughs> Oh, only uh, makes one. With only one save, one. that's still not gonna. That's do not it. gonna kill Belagar. Let's see me. what he does. Does it do a wound? It Wounds. does a wound. Four up ward. Strength five, so. Yeah. Uh, so four up. Six, oh yeah. Four, uh, five up armor. Five up armor first. Yep. No. And four nope. up ward. Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. That four up ward. Goodbye, Queek. <sighs> it was nice knowing you. And Belagar continues to reign in the pit. Reigning supreme. So sad. Yeah. So sad. All right. <laughs> All right. mm, Any ideas about who he's going to fight next time? Well, um, take Karnak at him. Well, no, he has to be painted. I'll paint mm. him. All right. Um, well, I have Chakax in the works. I've so. got I've got Dryka sitting painted up there. Yeah. Plenty more challenges in the wings yeah. to take him on. All right. We'll see how long he lasts. Yeah, yep. Belagar is. So Belagar is. He's a brute. Two and zero. Oh. All right. Oh, I just paint skull taker. I'm shut, a killing blow. Shut, shut up. Ugh. What do you think? What do you think makes him so good? Do you think it's the revenge incarnate yeah. or the four up ward? I think the four up ward. Probably my rolling. Mostly <laughs> is what does it? It's my stunning good looks that makes him so damn good. Freaking Scottish accent. <laughs> it's definitely the revenge incarnate. Without that, he would just be plugging away with like one or two wounds around. Max. Yeah, yeah. Four up ward is the four up ward. Yeah. Because most special characters don't really have much of a ward save. No. Three up armor, four up ward. I mean, that's better than a tree man. Mm -hmm. A tough five. You know, he's hard to wound. Hard as nails. But, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how we, how we can <laughs> kill him off. He's well odd. He's well odd. All right. Moving on. Tournament Zone. Okay, so Tournament Zone. Uh, we're going to talk about Sparkle Party Deathmatch 3. So Woo! Sparkle Party Deathmatch 3 is now <laughs> sold out. Um, so we had uh, 31 registrations in the first three days. Uh, yeah. Four days, first four days. Mm -hmm. So um, we now have uh, a wait list of one. Uh, I think we had five people drop out of the last one, so it's still worthwhile getting on the wait list. Yeah, very, very worthwhile getting on the wait list. And if um, if we get ten people on the wait list, I'll add six more tables. so Or three more tables, which will get room for six more players, and then there'll still be at least four dropouts, yeah. I'm sure. Nice. So, so yeah. Um, so right uh, but if, you, if you didn't get in and you want to get in, uh, and you know other people who did, get them all to sign up on the wait list, and that'll kind of be a cue to me to be like, yes, there's enough people who are still interested and I'll throw in those three more tables. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it went really quick. So yeah, it was, uh, it was great to see. Um, the tickets went live when we were up at Gotacon, So we're going to talk about that also. Um, but what I'm sure everybody is, is excited to hear, especially everybody who signed up anyway, uh, is what is the third <laughs> scenario <and laughs> going to be and how's it going to mess up all of our current army? Has this designs? not like been released yet? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh here, here first. 
Yeah, we were going to publish it last week, but um, we wanted to do it on the podcast first. So that's just Andy. Yeah. All right. So right. here, here to read. Three. Yeah, here to read the description is our very own Taylor. Well, golly gee, aren't you just a fancy pants? Because of your tactical genius, unwavering courage, and let's face it, stunning good looks, you've managed to get the Sparkle Stone safely, safely into your home territory. Give yourself a well-deserved pat on the back. Definitely earned it. Now, all you have to do is drop the Sparkle Stone off at the old Relic and Sundries and see what they can whip up with it. Just as you're about to snap into your second Slim Jim, one of your scouts walks in with a troubled expression on his face. Well, this is just great. Apparently, those other pesky neighbors of yours heard about your super awesome new acquisition and seem to think that because you never return their leaf blower, they have the right to demand half of it from you. The nerve. That's it. You've had enough of that insolent upstart. This stupid leaf blower, and especially his peasants, always pooping in your lawn. <laughs> in you your s- lawn? Yeah. <laughs> Pooping on, in your lawn, yeah. In your <laughs> lawn? That's, yeah. That takes yeah, skill. It does. <laughs> they can snipe. <laughs> you storm into the workshop and demand your super nifty sparkle relic of doom. No. <laughs> the makers protested. They just barely got the furnace fired up, and it would likely be days before anything of value was finished. They do point out that the super nifty cloth sack your sparkle giant was carrying the sparkle stone in... It's covered in sparkle residue and can take it, <laughs> and you can take it now, but there's no telling what it might do. They strongly encourage you to have a complimentary hot pocket and, hot give, them just, <laughs> and give them just a few more days. Fools! There's no more time to wait, and you grab your super, the super nifty cloth sack from the workbench. Not one, but two complimentary hot pockets, and storm hot out pockets. to prepare for battle! Man, that <laughs> passage just blows my mind. Are we still talking about Warhammer here? <laughs> Not anymore. I think Ricky was what on some serious goblin go mushrooms when pockets, he wrote so. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hot pocket munchies. Been at the witch brew again. Slim Jims and three hot pockets mentioned later. <laughs> <laughs> two Slim Jims, two hot pockets. Is this yeah. code that at, at the tournament you're going to be serving up complimentary hot pockets during this final yes. game? Maybe I will. Maybe that's a good idea. You should. I'll, get, I'll bring in a microwave and a couple <laughs> boxes of... <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so in case you didn't figure that out uh what's going on here is that you you've you in the first scenario you go and uh retrieve the sparkle stone with your giant who has all these special wars to protect him from the sparkle stone mm-hmm. um and then in the second scenario you you try and run away with that sparkle stone as quickly as you can through the pass mm-hmm. correct and then in the third scenario, you're waiting for your awesome magic item to be made when you're attacked by your pesky neighbors, but you've got this magical residue on a on the on the burlap sack, and you're going to make use of it. Correct. All right. Now, Correct. Re- all right. Now, give us the rest of the details because well, this is the exciting that. part. How does this translate to a game of Warhammer? Right, so. <laughs> it's right now, it just sounds like now it just sounds like a hot pocket fest. Um, hey, don't forget sluts. All right, so so that's the fluff of it. So <laughs> this battle, though, is actually the third battle is going to be um, the modified Blood and Glory again. So people are going to need to get some fortitude into their lists um, for people who are thinking of breaking that with their first two scenarios are now gonna have to put some back in um uh, other than that it's gonna be battle line deployment not the blood and glory deployment but battle line deployment um it's gonna be again the 20 nil uh three points bonus if you break your opponent's fortitude um only one 
or yeah, if you break your opponent's fortitude first, only one player can earn those. Two points if you capture your opponent's sifty, super nifty claw sack of doom. Boy, I can't even say that tonight. Both players <laughs> may earn the snifty, snifty sack of doom. Both players can earn those two points though. So okay, so so you can earn the two bonus points each of you can, but only one person can earn the three bonus points. Correct. To yeah. being the first to break fortitude. Yep. Okay, because that's different from the. <laughs> that is different from the first, first time one. I did the 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 modified blood and glory. Um, the first time I did it. Uh, it was three three for anyone who broke the, yeah, the opponent three. and two for being first. Correct. So okay. Yeah, that's so fine. I just wanted it, to know. I switched it up a bit. I wanted oh. to give a little more Dude, you're blowing my mind. Keep us on our feet. It's getting dicey. Alright, so uh now back to the super nifty cloth sack of doom. So the super nifty cloth sack of doom turns out to be a rather powerful, if fickle patchwork of rags. It seems that the sparkle stone residue has left it with two rather interesting abilities. When held aloft above a unit, it gives that unit certain random abilities. So you can slap a pull on it, cross your fingers, and give it to one of your units, or it would seem that when tied around the neck, the giant's neck like a cape, the lumbering dimwit is able to fly. <laughs> it's the landings he has problems with. Okay. So, 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 so what you're saying is if... If we go into this scenario, we should bring like a little cape to tie around our giant. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That would. Or a special sparkly flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you. Uh, yeah. That'd be really great if you guys make you know a sparkle standard. That'd be really cool. Um. So here's here's how it works. Uh. uh the first way is to make it into a standard. Um. If you. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh. You make it into a standard. It, it counts as a magical standard. Um. Which means that all mad all models in the unit carrying it. Uh. Gain. The abilities that are on the standard. Um, let's see. Before the game, and you do this during the uh, at the same time that you'd roll for spells. Um, if you're a dwarf, you don't roll for spells, but you do it at that time. You finally, get a roll now. Um, yeah. Uh, what it is is you'll nominate uh, one unit, um, or your BSB um, can carry it as well. But you nominate one unit that can normally carry a standard. Um, they don't already have to have a standard, uh, and if they do already have a standard, it replaces that standard. If they already have a magic standard, it replaces that magic standard. Same on the BSB. If they have a magic standard, you can replace that with your super nifty claw sack of doom. So, um, uh, let's see. Any If you do replace the standard of a unit, um, the points of the unit stay the same. Um, all that stays uh, as it was. Okay. So, what it is is whoever gets the standard at the... At, during the, um, you know, rolling for spells type time of the game, um, you would roll on three different charts to see what three random abilities the the super nifty claw sack of doom gives that unit, um, and they're broken up into three different tables. Um, let's see, Taylor I think has some of them over there. Um, <laughs> He's yeah. not giving them. Back. Okay, I guess he likes that that particular set of rules. So um, the do. first one is uh, psycho sparkly psychological effects, and the second one was sparkly defensive effects. And then sparkly pokey effects. Pokey effects, all right. So I'll run through the psychological effects here. Um, if uh, What it is, you roll 1d6 on each table. If the unit that you gave the standard to already has that rule, you're allowed one reroll. Whatever happens on the second reroll, even if they already have that rule, they're stuck with it. So you can't take that reroll reroll just out of choice. It has to be because the unit only if they already has. have the Only if they already have the rule. You can't just be like, oh, I don't like that one. You know, yeah. AKA demonic. Yeah, so um so for the demons, they're not gonna do so well on this first chart. But um uh 
number one uh, is stubborn. Uh, if you roll a two, it's unbreakable. You roll a three, immune to psychology, which I think I spelled wrong. Uh, four is hatred. Roll a five, it's plus one leadership. And that does stack with the general's inspiring presence, um, even if the general isn't in the unit. Yeah. If they were, like, stubborn or steadfast or anything like that, would that replace demonic instability? No, unbra- no, unbreakable supersedes everything. Yeah, and you're still gonna have all the special rules you still have. Mm-hmm. Hold on, just checking. Yeah, nice try though. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then numbers. Uh, if you roll a six, you can get terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you want to go through the defensive and pokey. All right. So the sparkly defensive effects. If you roll a one, you get a four up regen on the entire unit. A two, you get a five up ward. Three, you get plus one toughness. Four, you get a four up scaly skin. Five, magical resistance three, and six. Your unit becomes ethereal. That's right. <laughs> Me likey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Um, so the pokey effects. One is just ASF. Incredibly solid. Two, plus one strength. Ranged weapons included. Three, extra attack or multi-shot two. And multi-shot two, right? Correct. So you could give that to a unit of bowmen, and they have yes, an extra attack and <laughs> multi-shot too. Yep. So they have to take the minus one penalty for using multi-shot when yeah. they shoot with yeah. the multi. For for the chance of getting unless that, they're quick to fire that then, yeah. on the previous one, I'm like oh, forty clay guard, but the whole the whole, the whole unit, <laughs> eighty shots. <laughs> <laughs> 80 shots on an ethereal unit. (laughs) Just make sure I have the magical attacks uh, spite in there. Anyway, go. Uh, Four is poisoned attacks. And all the rest of these are just uh, ranged weapons included. So I'm not going to mention that anymore. But five is armor piercing two. And six is multi wounds two. Well, uh, those do include ranged weapons. Yeah. 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 Four, five, and six all include include ranged weapons. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah. I wish I could get the, a banner that did any one of those. Mm-hmm. I would be very, 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 very. You get a banner happy. of ASF. No, I can't. No. No. Mm. Oh, no. That's unfortunate. I can get a new book of ASF. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Well, so we hope. Yeah. Can I question if only if one model in the unit has one of these rules? Do I get to re-roll on the table? Or does it have to be every model in the unit? It would have unit? to be every model in the unit. Yeah. What about if I already have the units already stubborn because a character in, in the unit is stubborn, stubborn passes to the unit? So then oh. do they get to re-roll stubborn? Um, <laughs> I would think not because yeah. the banner comes with the unit and the character is deployed at a separate time. Right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I would sense. think so. I would also like to mention that the... Uh, the super nifty cloth sack of doom banner does not count for calculating fortitude. It does. It does. It does. Fine. It does. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it says does. It does. Okay. I just read it wrong. Okay. Who are you to make up? And then, rules? Uh, well, you still have. You're not the boss here. Just let me yeah. do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um. So basically, what it does is, uh, people can play the first two scenarios with one less point of fortitude than they might take in a in a blood and glory type game and then in that third game they can just put that on a unit that normally they wouldn't give a banner to so they can get their um fortitude up just a little bit to make the game a little um more solid okay Uh, okay now tell me why with this awesome banner on the table, I would take a flying giant instead. Well, Dude, it's a flying giant. <laughs> so yeah, so the su- super nifty claw sack of doom uh, is quite the fashion statement. 
While wearing it, your Sparkle Giant will again have the magical attack special rule. Oh, and it's worth noting that if you give the standard to a unit, they don't have magical attacks. They're already getting three be- benefits. They don't mm, get magical. Exactly. But the giant would then again have magical attacks. Um, can choose, uh, the, and he can choose to move with the fly special rule. However, the giant must make a falls over test at the end of the move if he does. So if the giant uses the fly rule to make a charge, then it also does d6 plus one impacts impact hits and will automatically fall over even if the charge fails so so the giant um you know he becomes he still has his magical attacks and then he gets ultra mobility and uh if he charges in on somebody he's gonna do d6 plus one impact hits he'll have thunder stomp if it's uh, somebody he can normally stomp and he'll do his random attacks that count as magical and And or fall over. And or fall over, (laughs) which is a template attack, which may or may not hit the unit. I could just, like, kill a horde of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you basically got a a 30-foot missile (laughs) of flesh. (laughs) But then he he does fall over every time and take a wound every time. Does he get a sparkle ward save? Yeah, but he he does get his ward save against the fall over damage. Yeah, which is a three-up ward. So. Mm. Mm, you can just yeah. yeah ping them all over yeah, the place. Just start slamming around the table. <laughs> have you guys can it. have your fancy banners and all that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to shoot. <laughs> I'm going to shoot a giant at your fancy unit. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Although, can I just say, if you take that banner, if you take a high elf unit with banner of the world dragon and then get ethereal on them, you have a unit that's just immune it to warhammer. Stack, does it? Dwellers below. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it true. Stack. It replaces it, right? No, well, well, Ethereal is immune to everything except magic, and Banner of the World Dragon is immune to magic. So you have them both, and you're well, just if you put the to... banner on the unit that has the Banner of the World Dragon, it replaces. You just it. have yeah, a BSB and a unit. In yeah, there so you'd already. have to put it on the BSB, right. put the BSB in the yeah. So you still could, a pretty valid tactic, but yeah, yeah. yeah. immune to Warhammer. <laughs> Dwellers below. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Allows no saves of any Purple kind. Sun. Still good. Yeah. Not uh, against high elves, my friend. No, not against high elves. Initiative five, yeah, yeah, it's not quite so good. Uh, anyway, okay, cool. So that's pretty exciting. It does change composition somewhat, I think, from, from certainly from what I was thinking from the first two scenarios. Still gonna monster mash it. Uh, probably still leaning towards monster mash myself. <laughs> I'm monster mashing too. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it, it it does lend it. It seems like it would be a ton of fun to just yeah. have a bunch of monsters on the battlefield. Can we with, come dressed mm-hmm. in like glam if we just do like a, at least a three way monster mash? <laughs> <laughs> I've, yes. got, I've got the wigs. <laughs> yes. All right. I've got the dinosaur costume. <laughs> okay. It just got weird. <laughs> I, I'm kind of cornered in a room with these guys. I Let, feel a little awkward. Weird, uh, let's let's move swiftly on to Godicon. <laughs> okay. So, no, just, just one last thing. Uh, the date for Sparkle Party 3 is April 13th. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like we said, registration is still open, even though it's on the wait list. Um, there's still uh, a good, you know, eight to ten spots that can go uh, on the wait list, and and you you should you'd still be likely to play on the day. All right, cool. Let's move on to Gotacon. Um, so Gotacon is a um, gaming convention, like an all-round gaming convention, held in Victoria, BC. Um, so Victoria, actually the capital of BC, not Vancouver. Um, beautiful city on Vancouver Island. Um, we had an interesting time getting there. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. We turned up at the ferry uh, and 
in Anacortes to take from Anacortes up to up to uh, Victoria to be told that the ferry does not start running to Victoria until April. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, wait. <laughs> so we hastily drove up to uh, up to Tawasson, which is in Canada, crossed the border, um, got on the last ferry from Tawasson, which didn't actually go to Victoria. It went to Nanaimo, which is halfway up the island, and then drove down there and arrived at about two thirty in the morning, uh, ahead of our of our. 10 a.m. start for the tournament. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that was also after uh, driving an hour up the road and realizing two people forgot their passports. So. <laughs> Me and Jesse. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we got all the way up. The past. military man forgot his passport. Yeah, we got up to uh, got up to Everett, and I, I, I was playing a joke. I was like, all right, who forgot what? And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I forgot my passport. And Jesse's like, geez, so did you I. You need a passport to go to Canada? <laughs> that, that was exactly what Jesse said. That's all right, man. We'll totally fake it. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> so, so yes, we got to the convention. So it's a 50-person tournament. Um, I think you could have faked it. it hey, is. buddy, <laughs> I'm coming home to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. No offense to everybody in Canada. Yeah, to this. our Canadian <laughs> listeners. Yep, yep. Um, they don't all right. Yeah. technology in Canada. Thanks a lot, guys. I worked so hard all weekend giving away free T-shirts to people to get them to listen to our podcast. <laughs> And you've just ruined it all with your stupid Terrence and Philip. Uh, we'll, we only ruined it if they're listening. Yeah. All right. So, meanwhile, back in reality land, uh, it's a fifty-person, it's a fifty-person tournament. Um, the setup they had a big room uh, with uh, four or five extremely long four-foot tables, um, where they just kind of flopped felt. Um, six feet of felt over them and had like a foot and a half gap between tables or thereabouts, two foot yeah, gap. Yeah. Um, and then they had a few, another five or 10 tables set up outside. Um, the, I felt that the, the tables were probably the, the weakest part of the whole thing, but the terrain was pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, in general, they had, you know, they had a good mix of, they had elven towers and, and, uh, watchtowers and, and, uh, forests and all sorts of bits and pieces on different different tables yeah yeah um and the they had five scenarios we went through them before um i don't think they played a huge part of the game uh too much i mean they took one of my ties to a loss but other than that um i mean it wasn't it wasn't terribly significant what the scenarios were but because it was uncomped um there were a lot of hard lists there um like very very win at all costs kind of lists i would say um what was your experience of the whole thing ricky um well you know first of all i'd like to say that i loved it um i thought it was a great time it was a it was a fun weekend yeah uh, victoria blast. is beautiful um yeah, met a lot of cool people yeah uh, you know the hotel is amazing uh i did feel like yeah the the room having us kind of some people over in like out in the hall and stuff was a little weird until I actually ended up being one of the people out there in the hall. And I was like, oh, it's so much more quiet and relaxed out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you get way more spectators yeah. coming to watch yeah. your game. And Probably be... less musky as well than yeah. the room with 40 other players. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, it's worth noting there were no female competitors. Yeah, absolutely none. Yeah, We have, we have, at, least, at? We have at least three in Sparkle Party. Where are my ladies at? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> uh, avoiding the hell out of, out of that room, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I would guess. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 
like I, I agree like I felt like the just the kind of slopped uh felt on top of the table and they were the the old um static grass on the slippery backed fabric so it they rucked s- up when yeah, you yeah it, it like slipped and slid all over the place and so you just sound like grouchy old man well it was kind of, that was <laughs> well it was definitely it it was it was it was not that bad but it was bad enough to interfere with movement trays right yeah um and so you would ruck something up and then the the scenery would move and and models would fall over and it was it it was the only part of the scenery that interfered with everything to do with the game. Anything yeah. to do with the game. Everything else was was great. Yeah, all their all their terrain was really well done, and some yep. some of the tables were themed, which was nice. Yeah. Um, the players, I I didn't have any bad experience with the players at all. Agreed. Everybody I met up there was just super friendly. Super nice. Yes, they were playing competitive. Yes, they were playing hardless. Some of them were playing very loudly. Yeah, some were playing <laughs> loudly, but they were doing it for fun. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a good time. Like I don't feel like there, I never I never uh, like at Las Vegas there were some people who were having contentious moments all around me at at their tables. I never heard like, like intense a, rules debate. Yeah, I never in. heard an intense rules debate. I think if people. Everybody seemed to have their rules down, and if they didn't, they just didn't care. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, and, and everything was uh, – almost all of the armies were painted. Yeah, there was a – well, here's an interesting uh, thing that um, I heard the organizer say out in the hall. Um, he was talking about the painting, and he I think the, the was the top paints – what was the top, the highest you could get in paint? I think it was 30. It was well. I think it was forty something. Was it forty something? Yeah. So he he was said that yeah, the, right. the right. average for fantasy was I think thirty seven. Thirty seven ish. Yeah, something like that. High thirties. The average for forty k was mid teens. Yeah. So you know, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, fantasy cleaned up on the paint scores, and and it was awesome. Like I did not play against any unpainted model. There was no unpainted model in any of my games. Nice. Um, I, I only had one game um, where he had a half half of his uh, models unpainted, and it was his first tournament. Yeah. Nice. There, there was one guy I played. He had he didn't have some bases done, but there was still paint on all the models, yep. and um, it was it was really fun for that. And in fact, I you know I got to play against some people that I actually kind of that I did vote for. For you were allowed to three players for your uh, best painted and i got to play two of them that i voted for so nice. it cool. was nice yeah. to any kind of crazy fun themed some r- really in, nice ones in terms mm-hmm. of um we both played against uh uh actually the guy that uh that runs the chump hammer podcast yeah, um, dale dale he had a, a really nice uh uh crace themed high elf army he had a uh, uh like this display board that was like white lion heads. Um, oh, is that how you say that? Crace. Crace. I, I would say have crace. said trace. Trace. Trace or trace. 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 Crace. I would have thought. Anyway, With an the white lions. Yeah. Nerds. Anyway, those guys. <laughs> the white lion city. Mm. Um, he had the like the white lions on on, on the wall, and they were mm-hmm. like spitting out water into little fountains, and he had big gates and. And then he had everything laid out there in front yeah, of Yeah, it was a really cool board. Very nice board. Mm, and yeah. then uh, the 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 overall winner of the tournament um was actually a Bretonian player and his his army again, very nice display board. He'd scratch built a couple of trebuchets mm. um that that looked fantastic. Um and and of course, you know, Bretonians lend themselves to to beautiful paint schemes. Indeed. Um and uh you played him. Yeah. Yeah. Um Cash. Yeah. And I'm trying to think 
there was a there was a very nice Chaos Dwarf army. Uh, yeah, that was, was. that was pro painted. That was yeah, that was a commission job. But I the cool thing I think was that it was somebody in Vancouver that did it. I, yeah, from what I it was understand. a local painter. Yeah. So it's at least sourced locally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> locally sourced army. Yeah. Yes. yes, organically grown. Mm. Yeah, uh, but it was really it was a very beautiful uh, chaos dwarf army, and I I would have voted for that except that it wasn't. Um, I don't know. I don't want to vote for an army that somebody didn't paint themselves. Yeah, yeah. you yeah, want sure. the award to get yeah. handed to if it was the, the if it was the, the painter the that had been playing it. Then yes, that <clears throat> probably would have had my number one vote. Yeah, yeah, it was that um, good. There was a very nice um, uh, Chaos Warriors army that had you know pretty much every model had been converted. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, a lot of the bases were scenic dioramas. So mm. visually, the the event was really good and only let down by those green felts. Right. Um, and uh, um, loved loved playing the games. Highly recommend going. Uh, really want to go again next year. Yeah. Um, I also got to meet one of the guys off the Wood Elf Forum, which was cool, even though he brought his beast men. <laughs> um, so uh, that's Papa's dad, the guy that, that you know sure. as well. How did uh, the beast men do? Uh, not as good as the Wood Elves. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. So he finished, I think, uh, with two wins and a tie. And I finished with three wins. Mm. So, um, what else for the win? What else for the win? Uh, the so I don't want to go in game by game. Um, I think I will call out um, one thing. I I learned um, I learned a lot about playing a three tree man list. Um, in that that and when I played cautiously, I lost. Mm-hmm. When I pushed my tree man into other Balls people, out. Uh, I won. Nice. Um, and I also will say that in every game that I won, Dwellers Below won me the game, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me feel less good about my strategy in general. It's no, like, you play with what else? You're allowed to dwell it off every now and again. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's embarrassing, actually, because... Wins is wins. Yeah. Well, you know, a general takes the tools that he can. So. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, and in both my high elf games, they had the banner of the world dragon and they were running Death Stars, which yeah. we'll get to. And and dwellers below wrecked their Death Star. White lion stars. One white lions, one dragon princes. Mm. So, mm. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I learned, uh, war dancers are fantastic in a unit of five. I would put them on the flank, and any chaff unit at all, they just wrecked it. Blend it. Yeah, for mm. ninety points for the five of them, they they ripped apart like they. The high elf player put a great eagle, uh, you know, kind of tried to redirect them with a great eagle. Um, Seems like an odd choice for well, a great eagle. He didn't. He didn't want me getting into his reavers, um, but whatever. I don't know exactly how he did. He was quite new. Okay. Um, anyway, I I blended the great eagle in one turn and overran into his reavers, and blended them on the second <laughs> turn. <laughs> Um, choppy, choppy, choppy. I lost two war dancers in the process, um, but then the rest could just go and hide after that because mm. they'd already earned their points back. So very impressed with them. Um, hadn't run them too much beforehand. Um, and the final point that I want to make is playing five games. It's the first time I went to a two-day tournament. So playing five games of Warhammer on the trot with the same army list really drove home lessons quickly compared mm-hmm. to playing the same list five games over you know a couple of weeks mm-hmm. yeah so so if you're wanting to up your game i can highly recommend going to a two-day tournament that has a lot of competitive play um mm-hmm. yeah 
Did for... you learn anything about any other armies in particular? No, or... no, I didn't get to play any army that I hadn't played before. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I played two high elves, one ogres, one warriors, and one orcs and goblins. Hmm. Which ones did you lose against? I lost to ogres and warriors. Predictable. The warriors game was the best da- game of Warhammer I've ever played. Really? Yeah. As in really tight? Uh, it was nail biter. It, it was tight. We had an audience. There was about 10 people watching and everybody thought I had won until I reminded them that wood elves cost more than everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, he had Throg and 16 trolls. He had a big block of chosen as his core running a sorcerer Lord as his general. He had a BSB and, uh, some other character in that unit as well. Mm. Um, he had two, yeah, two hell cannon and a war shrine and some chaff, the dogs, the direwolves, whatever they are. Um, turn one, it was watchtower, um, but not the auto win watchtower. Mm-hmm. Turn one, he charged my dryads in the watchtower, predictably, you know, with the 25 chosen, um, the dryads ran away after getting beaten. And then he just sat in the watchtower, but he, in his, in his magic phase, he rolled the, the chaos war shrine roll on the eye of the gods thing, rolls a double six, Turns his BSB into a demon prince. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. That'll change things up a little bit. A little bit. Um, so <laughs> demon prince pops out of the watchtower because he's not allowed to be in there. Um, I pincushion him a little bit with some arrow fire, put a uh, tree man in front of my uh, glade guard so he couldn't charge them. And he charged into my general. My general uh, finished him off because... Annoyance of nettling. Annoyance of nettling. You can only hit me on sixes and I could just keep healing you. So, uh, And then... You know, some neat things that I did, um, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of dominating this part of the conversation because it was a really exciting game. <laughs> um, when he, he tried to get into me with Throg, I threw an eagle in his way, and the eagle did one wound on Throg. And then I threw some dryads in his way, and the dryads did two wounds on Throg. And so by the time he got round to getting into my tree man with mm-hmm. all of his trolls, um, I, it, Throg was down to one wound, and I ended up killing him. So... Um, even though you are throwing, you know, if you're throwing a, a throwaway unit into the face of something, that's a lot tougher. Um, if you, if you can focus on the character, the, the off chance of getting that one wound can lead to victory points. Right. Because mm-hmm. I knew I was never going to take down that whole unit of trolls. Right. Not ever. Um, but, uh, against the character, I could, I mean, he's a couple hundred points by himself. So I figured mm-hmm. it was worth taking the shot and, and it paid off. Absolutely. So the end result of that was, uh, I think I was 12 points ahead in victory points, um, you know, out of a 2,500 point list, but occupying the watchtower gave him 300 points. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> that was the win. Yeah. But it was a great game. The guy I played against Cody was, was, a really, really nice guy. Uh, I gave him my best player vote. Um, so it was, it was overall a really enjoyable experience. Cool. Anthony, uh, Anthony, on his first day, he took the demons with um, demons of Slanish. Mm-hmm. Um, first day, three losses, and that night we said, "Use the portal glyph. Use the portal glyph." <laughs> Next day, he used the portal glyph two wins. What does the yeah. portal glyph do? So it's an exalted gift that you can take. It's a hellforged artifact, which means if you're in the demons, you 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 can take an exalted gift yeah, for seventy five points. Point um, so it. It uh, you, you can put down a marker um, anywhere on the battlefield within twelve inches, I think it is, yeah. uh, of of the character carrying it, and then it scatters like three d six inches, 
um, and then you, you you nominate a unit that is inside the portal glyph, and then on the turn after you deploy it, that unit can come out in any formation facing any direction. Hmm. So it's basically a way to bring on reserves anywhere in the battlefield I on see. whatever turn you you want. And so what he did was he threw thirty demonets into it. Um, so I think I don't know if we need to read the exact rules. Um, I'm well, you can read them. Um, so, so it scatters three d six inches. Three d six inches. Yep. So, so with that, he was able to. I mean, you, you faced him in the end, and he yep. did it to you. And yep. and you have to react to that, which kind of messes up your battle line. Yeah, I had to. I was forced to redress my my line a little bit. Um, it, I think in my game, it didn't super affect the game, except that it did get that unit. Um, it's funny. My game against his demons was the only game that my manglers never made it to combat period like or hit a unit period he just because he had the fast movement he could move around them Mm -hmm. and then he kept casting acquiescence on one of them which uh gives them gives the unit random movement d6 so instead of having three d6 random Uh... movement i went down to random movement d6 (laughs) and so uh for the first three game three turns of the game, I think my one mangler moved a total of four inches. <laughs> so, which was, nice. which was the perfect use for that yeah. spell. And, and so that whole flank, you know, he was able to just come on up and then, uh, <laughs> he used his two light, uh, uh, what are they? Seekers. seekers yeah. The, the seekers, yeah. um, he moved them up to trigger fanatics. You know, he mm-hmm. figured he was going to have to sacrifice them. And I rolled, you know, he stopped at eight inches away and, I rolled all three of my fanatics. I got a seven, a seven, and a six. So those ones lived, and he was able to move them back because he still had a lot of, of move left. So he got them back away. Did the same thing on the other side, like a three and a four and a six or something. So mm-hmm. that one's those survived, and he was able to move them back. So then my fanatics also did nothing that game. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had what? Ne- neutralized a lot of your weapons. Yeah, I had 150 plus, you know, 265. So I had like 250 points that normally do the majority of my <laughs> of my damage in the in the list do absolutely nothing for me that yeah. game. And um, and, and then he also pitishated uh, Scar's Nick on turn six. So, mm, you know, that kind of hurt. But <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> no, uh, but... I think the I think overall I kind of played fairly um you know my opponents might have noticed stuff I was doing wrong but I feel like I played fairly strong games um I don't feel like uh, I think two of my games I lost pretty big um two of my games were really really close and the one was a draw and then the uh the one thing I did forget the whole tournament except for the very first game was Scarsnick's Trixie Traps. Uh, and you he, forgot that? I forgot that. Oh, and every, and one here's, in six units doesn't Yeah, here's up. what happened. On the second day, the first game, uh, you know, game four, halfway through it, I was like, oh, man, I forgot Trixie Traps on all these games. I got to remember it. Got to Anthony's table. Oh, I got to remember Trixie Traps right when I was rolling for my spells, right? Yeah. And then we started doing stuff. And totally forgot to make him roll again. <laughs> so by the time he... Derp, derp. I know. I'm like, why do... Did you get it tattooed on your hand? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, play, I play him all the time and I forget about that stuff. And so... you know, in all seriousness, what you could do is put it on the top of your dice box. Yeah. Like, right? You know, because you've got orc and goblin dice uh, or goblins and mm-hmm. squig dice, I should say. Just put it... Write it right on top there. Tricks on one box, traps on the other. Yeah, I don't know. Man. I need to. I need to put out like a big sign on the table right when I get there that says, "Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Get right. somebody to make an announcement at the beginning of yeah. every game. <laughs> every goblin player, remember your traps. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was really, uh, if I did make any big mistakes, that was it in all of my games, because that might have actually helped some of them. But otherwise, like, I, yeah, I, I just don't think... I don't think there was much my army could have done against some of these lists. And Newsflash, Night Goblins is the, not the most powerful army. Yeah, you know, um, people well, people were smart. Everybody knew, had played against them mm. multiple times before, and so they knew how to deal with them, and everybody yeah. had chaff to deal with my army. Were and you yeah, allowed to use the Squid Gobbers? No. No, no, no they were as Doom Divers. But yeah... yeah. Yeah, it just uh, it was it was a great uh, a great tournament. I think the one thing I would change on my list would be to um, maybe not take the the uh, little big bosses just with great weapons. I had three of them, two with great weapons and two with hand weapons. I would take those three out and put in one with the Arabian carpet. Mm. So you know, give me some more mobility to fly out there and try and kill something. Yeah. So yeah. So um, Ricky's army took best painted. Woo! Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, part of the reason you maybe forgot about it was it, it was is a I, I was a little disappointed on your behalf that the prize was a little lame. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was two Warhammer novels. Um, one of them was an omnibus, but it was it was two Warhammer novels. When you see what the best general got, I mean, he got like a, a huge carry case for um, for an army. Uh -huh. and, uh, and terrain, terrain, and, yeah. a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, nothing even slightly artistic or paint related for the, you know. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't even, um, there were, yeah, it wasn't even like a certificate or a plaque or oh, yeah, anything. Just, yeah. just here you go. Yeah, Here's two books. books. Yeah, yeah. Have a couple books. Don't they know Ricky can't read? <laughs> I'm illiterate. Yeah. That's why, That's why paint. he paints. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but overall, um, very, very high quality of tournament. Very uh, enjoyed the uh, the environment, enjoyed the people. So so definitely want to go again next year. Yeah, definitely. Me too. So we were going to talk about the U.S. Masters in this episode, but um, there's actually a, a bunch of, of interesting things going on. Um, news is, is currently breaking. And because we spoke so long for Gotacon, um, I'll maybe say that until... The next episode so we will on tender hooks yeah there you go we will wrap up um the the tournament section and go into the hobby horse what the crap is a tender hook it's it's what you see in all those slanesh models <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> covered in tender hooks yeah <laughs> the hobby horse <laughs> Right, so Hobby Horse, we're going to talk about uh, selecting a color scheme for your army. So, so there are four of us uh, here, um, and I think we have um, various experiences with selecting color schemes. Or not. Ranging from Taylor, <laughs> who has still yet to select a color scheme, um, and all the way through to you know Ricky, who has painted five or six armies. I don't, how many armies have you painted? Yeah, five-ish. Five-ish. Uh, <laughs> completely. Um, and and also works a lot with color for a living. So, um, you know, uh, Tom, you've just gone through the, the selecting of a color scheme for your Chaos Dwarf. For my second army, which is the Chaos Dwarfs. Yep. Yeah. I'm just embarking on that journey for the Lizardmen. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so it was a really relevant um, kind of topic to be suggested by Alex on the forum. So I was pretty excited to jump on it. Okay, so 
Um, I'm just going to bring up my cheat sheet here because we've talked about this before. <laughs> what did we say last time? <laughs> Quick, somebody remember. And it was all garbage. That's why we <laughs> t- tossed it away. So, so actually, why don't we start um, with with you, Tom? Um, you, know, you know, you just started painting the Chaos Dwarves a few mm-hmm. months ago. Um, how how did you go about um, picking the color scheme? So for the Chaos Dwarfs, it's kind of similar for what I did for my Beast Men as well, which is to not just start painting models, but to first kind of visualize what I see the whole army looking like in the end, and specifically visualizing the kind of physical setting I imagine them being in. So for the Beast Men, I imagine them being in some frozen northern tundra. I knew there was going to be snow all over the bases, so I wanted to pick um, a color scheme that kind of fit in with the the kind of cold theme I was going to be building through the bases and the, the setting. Um, so for them, I ended up picking a kind of pale skin cone, tone to look like pale northerners like me. And, um, <laughs> and as the, the main kind of standout... Are, are your beastmen all bald? <laughs> they, uh, they're, they're like the reaction to my baldness. Oh, uh, okay. And, so they're <laughs> super hairy. Yeah, Is this why you went with chaos com- dwarfs They're compensation. Also? Yeah, yeah, chaos okay. dwarfs too. Because I can't grow a proper beard either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my armies compensate for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> So in, so with the, the Beast Men, I wanted to pick out one strong color for the army, so I picked a kind of um, purple, um, dark purple highlighted up to bright purple, which would like stand out a bit, but kind of fit in with the other cold colors in the army. <laughs> I'm surrounded by morons here. I've, I've muted the morons. <laughs> you can keep talking. You can keep talking. So then a similar thing for my Chaos Dwarfs, I again just kind of imagined the setting they're going to be in, which this time was a kind of... Um, magma-filled, like, barren hellscape, pretty much. So there's going to be a lot of red magma all over the bases. And I, again, wanted to pick one really strong color for the army that would um, complement the, the the red magma bases. So I chose a kind of um, dark green for the armor, which is highlighted up to a, a kind of bright glowing green to produce a bit of contrast to the to the red bases. So for me, it's all about thinking about the overall look of the army and in particular the the physical setting of the army so it's almost a, a choice about what the bases are going to look like first and then how is that going to affect what what colors i choose for the army itself so so it sounds like the the <clears throat> main decision factor for you is you know what's the fluff behind the army yeah um yeah i would say fluff definitely um, influences me not necessarily through the the kind of traditional fluff that goes with with an army, um, but more like my personal fluff towards what what I want the army to be like. Dude, don't talk about your personal fluff on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, um, so for me, the the wood elves um, kind of just got slapped together really um i i picked up the hobby again at the end of 2012 and um i picked it up because i wanted to paint and i find painting relaxing and i needed to relax um so i i went into gw and i bought some wood elves and and i bought some paint and i'm like okay i'm gonna paint wood elves i'll buy a green paint and a brown paint Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh you know, and a dark green and a yellow. And, you know, I literally bought the minimum amount of colors that I could use to paint a box of Glade Guard, uh, which I think was about eight. 
So Wood Elves are one of those armies, more than a lot of other armies, that have a very kind of deeply ingrained kind of traditional color scheme that people will always associate with Wood Elves. There's always like certain color connotations with Wood Elves. They do. I know people kind of do variations on that by picking different seasons for their armies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but it's all very natural tones, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of somewhat limited um, because if you if you vary outside of that, it actually looks weird. Um, they don't look like wood elves anymore. They mm-hmm. look like high elves or dark elves. Not even restricted, but as a new player coming back into the hobby, you kind of um, fall into that. Yeah, you just fall uh, into yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't even think about us, it. Yeah. And um, so, so what I really wanted to do with the um, lizard man was was think ahead of time, um, really plan out the the army. I was. Um, Incredibly inspired, and I know I'm, I'm kind of sucking up here, but I was incredibly inspired by Ricky's Night Goblin Army. It just when you when you see it, um, it's rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 the cave that it comes it comes in on the cave display board, which is you know a two foot cube um, carved in the shape of a dwarven cave. And all of those miniatures on there, they just looked like they belonged. chiseled out of yeah. a single piece of marble. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and so I really, I really wanted to have something that was as visually appealing as that. Um, and I talked to think in the first episode a bit about the ideas I've had for the display board. And so the whole visual concept for the army has kind of come from that display board. And in my head, it's kind of like this baked sandstone kind of, you know, being in the, in the, in the high mountain desert of Peru, uh, kind of look and feel, um, and so what I what I did was I I broke out the the color wheel. So if you're not familiar with the color wheel, I'm, I'm gonna maybe let Ricky talk about it a bit more than me. But um, you can actually get a physical color wheel from most art shops, and and it talks a bit about uh, it. It shows you how to to complement colors. So if you have a color in mind, you can find colors that go with that um, by using the color wheel. But there's much better tools online. Um, Ricky, why don't you Talk us through some of those. Uh, well, if you're, yeah, online color wheels, my favorite would be uh, Cooler, which is K-U-L-E-R. It's a, and it's an Adobe, um, I guess it's an Adobe website, really. Um, I'd say it's a s- online app, basically. But it's, it's a real simple tool um, that you can use to create color um, sets if you were going to then save those into an Adobe program for design or whatever. Um, that's, you know, what it was kind of designed for, but it's great for playing with colors and kind of figuring out um, what your color scheme might be. And um, so, the, uh, you know, color wheels are, you know, the circle with all the different hues that are um, in the visible, uh, visible realm. And then you... Um, have certain values within those hues, and so, uh, so you're talking about like from going from red all the way through to purple, mm-hmm. like in the rainbow. Yeah, and so you take that that thing that's normally a band, which is what our eyes can see, and you you bend it around on itself into a circle, and you put purple and red next to each other, um, which actually can blend together. Um, you, you end up with what is the color wheel, and so. Um, you know, you go from reds to orange to yellow to green to blue to purple again, and you just keep going back, you know, as many times as you need. And um, 
so when you work on a color wheel, you can get certain different color combos. Um, there's, you know, analogous, which I think is usually, um, well, it's, it's, that's, it's just all different ways to do it. There's monochrome, triads, complementaries, compound shades, things like that. Um, <laughs> these are basically, you know. <laughs> uh, to, to kind of, uh, describe what it means. Um, and it's something very visual. Um, if you think about it, about the wheel being an actual circle, um, you know, on, on, at, at six o'clock, let's say on the wheel, you might have red. Um, but then at 12 o'clock on the wheel, you might have green. And so, so Tom, to go back to kind of what you were talking about with your chaos dwarfs, you have that magma filled, um, war machines and bases and so forth. And so the green is on the other side of the, um, yeah, on the other side of the color wheel. So, really so right. it is it is definitely a contrast, but it's a contrast color that really goes with the red, mm -hmm. right? You could have picked a kind of cyan that definitely contrasts, <laughs> but but you know it it wouldn't have looked as good because uh, it, it's not in the right, right it's spot kind of on a the natural pattern. Yeah, yeah. So what it is is you take one color on the color wheel, and whatever is directly opposite is is considered its com complementary color. Um, so it, when Tom goes from red to green, that is a complementary color. And um, in color theory, if you mix the complementary colors together, you'll get black. Um, so if you were to take red and green and put them together, you get black. Um, so, uh, you know, color theory doesn't always work out. Usually you take red and green, you put them together, you get brown. So, <laughs> right. um, Certainly in the paint anyway. Yeah, it, just, it kind of goes muddy. But you use that same, that same uh, you know, reality is what's good for doing uh, shading. If you take red and shade it with a green ink or a green wash, it'll give you a more like a vibrant or um, energetic shadow your eye will actually play in there a little bit more than if you just had the flat red shadow. Mm. So huh. that is something you can do. And you can do that with other, other, you know, complementary colors. You can do some, uh, you know, orange into a blue and see how that works and things like that. So, mm. um, that's also getting into weird, weird color theory again, but no, it's, um, it's fascinating, right? Because yeah. for most of us, uh, we have day jobs that have very little to do with our hobby. Mm -hmm. um, so so it's interesting to hear. And I know um, that you, you work in kind of print advertising and, mm -hmm. and, and so yeah. forth. So you do at least work a lot with color and visual design. So this is um, kind of fascinating learning for us. And it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's yeah. just like, oh, bread and butter, color wheel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Complimentary, too, uh, analogous shenanigans. I, I was in fine art school and then I went to uh, design school. So, yeah, I, I got some some learnings on it, but yeah. it's really hard to talk about because it is such a visual thing. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, the best thing to do, I, and I would suggest this to everybody, is go to Cooler and um, just start playing with the colors there. And and uh, if you're not sure, oh, Jesus, this is maybe a little too much, uh, take an army you've already painted and plug it in there and see what, see what you got, what kind of color scheme you had, and be like, oh... Maybe if I had just shifted my colors, because what it is, is um, th there's the different patterns. There's, you know, analogous and um, what would we say monochrome, but, you know, you're not really going to do a monochrome army, but a triad, things like that. If you paint in those um, schemes, you tend to create colors or, you know, a, a, a color theme that is really eye-catching. Um, it... it 
it'll make it more interesting visually for you. So, you know, you might discover like, oh, if I had just shifted this one highlight color over to this other color, it might have been a little more interesting and might have popped. And you could go back, take a test model, try it and be like, oh, wow, yeah, it really does look a little... <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem to be as odd or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know. There's For every rule, there's... 30 exceptions though so i wouldn't I so wouldn't. maybe a good strategy would be to come up with some color you just really like for yeah. fluff reasons or background reasons whatever and then use this to to build up build in what your other colors are going to be yeah so for uh for the you know first time painter if you were wanting to do uh, your first army pick a color you like what's your favorite color take the complementary color to that right. color you're the one who's going to be there painting it yeah. for hours. So there's got to be something that pleases yeah. you exactly. to do and to look take, at. And then take the complementary color of that main color as a spot color to throw in there here and there, like on the jewelry or on the edge of a cloak or, you know, on a standard. And all just doing that much is going to make uh, make it really pop. So like for you, you're doing the the green armor, green and gold. Green and gold is a great color combo. Mm -hmm. And then you're contrasting that, you know, with the complementary of the red on the base, and it does make them pop more. And, yeah. Thank you. So one one of the things that you talked about the last time, the first time we rolled this particular podcast, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure how we got on to talking about it, but it's something. We'll that, get there by the third time. Yeah. <laughs> Wash your mouth out with soap. <laughs> um, was about um, creating colors that that. Um, or, or patterns that allowed the eye to rest? Yeah, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, whenever, you know, there's there's certain things you can do that uh, if you have a really subdued army, you know, color scheme, like say, say you're painting just a lot of metal and it's all just, um, you know, Bretonian or no, like Emp Empire. Empire Knights or, or even yeah. sometimes people paint chaos, you know, just tons of, solid metal color of whatever color they pick um those are really boring to look at for your eye because there's all just one color and so you put in one you know complementary color and that draws your eye in um it it gives you a little little pop and it and the same is true with the opposite if you're doing um say like a whole bretonian army and you have just heraldry 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 everywhere if you put in something that will allow your eye to rest on one part of a model, you know, where there isn't as much powder, pattern, there isn't as much color, then it again becomes more visually interesting because your eye isn't as overwhelmed and there's a place for it to settle. So, you know, there's you got to find that balance of uh, contrast and <clears throat> color and pattern and and try to um, <laughs> keep it, try to keep it um from being overly busy and if it is overly busy have something that your eye can rest on and if it's overly bland you got to throw just a little bit of something in there to spice it up to draw the eye in otherwise people will just walk past it on a table yeah okay so, yeah so what's everybody's thoughts on um kind of um consistency versus variability among an army do you do you do your whole army with the same color scheme or do you try and keep some common threads while changing up things between units let's say to make them look like Separate individual units. units who have their own 
heraldry or background or whatever or do you do you try and keep something consistent through the whole army so they look like a, a single force who fight under the same banner all the time what's the, the thoughts so um for me again the the wood elves uh have uh, they kind of fall back on natural colors kind of all look good together anyway right um i've got i got three tree men um they're all painted different colors um i think they all look fine together mm -hmm. they look um um and what i've actually used to keep the army together are the bases right exactly um you know i have a, a kind of similar little um, pattern that I use for highlighting the bases and I've used it on, on even, even the really involved bases have some, some of it on there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my war dancers look different from my wild riders, which look different from my glade guard. Mm -hmm. Now all my glade guard look the same, but all of their high, they've each got a highlight color that's different for the four units. Right. So I've got, you know, fletching mm -hmm. on the arrows is purple, red, green, or, or, or blue. Um, so I think, you know, I, I kind of, it's a bit of a cop out because, uh, you know, wood elves kind of just let you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a question I haven't answered yet for the lizardmen. Right. Um, I, I think, um, I like what Ricky has done with his skinks where he has kind of the interesting crest on them. Um, you know, so they've got that little crest on their heads uh -huh. yeah. and I'm thinking that, that something like that is a good way to have some variation while still maintaining that, you know, overall. Right, you could give them different crest colors. Slightly yeah. between you. Yeah, slightly different crest exactly. colors. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, especially because, well, and also, you know, with Lizardmen, they, they, the fluff, the fluff is definitely the most important part for me. Um, you know, the Lizardmen have the spawning pools um, where the, the, you know, the skinks and the, the saurus and so forth come out. And they all come out at the same time and form a bond, you know, form a bond and have a unit mm -hmm. and they all the same color, right. In that, in that unit. So there's mm -hmm. definitely not going to be any variation inside the unit. Right. Um, and so then, you know, they're all coming from spawning pools in the same city. So you want to have something that kind of keeps them together. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, I definitely want to have a little variation because I think maybe it's to do with what you were just talking about there, Ricky, about your eye. You want things that make it visually interesting to look at each individual unit as opposed to just glossing over, oh, look, there's, there's uh, you know, 70 skinks, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, um, well, that's, it's fine if you have, you know, two blocks of 70 skinks, but yeah, if they're all, uh, if there's no if there's nothing about it that really draws your eye in, then you're just not going to look. But if there's, if you have, you know, 70 green skinks with a nice bright red banner on it, then you're getting that contrast that makes you, your eye settle there and be like, oh, look at that. There's a nice bright red banner for me to look at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, Tom? Yeah. Um, with my Beastmen, I pretty much kept the same theme just through everything and that's not necessarily a conscious choice i just got pretty fast and pretty happy with the results from doing that scheme so i just kept doing it because i thought you know i, I could waste a lot of time like working out another variation on that that i kind of like so i just did that um for the beastmen the chaos dwarfs i kind of like the thought of all the dwarfs looking very similar to each other because you know they want to look like disciplined um, so my two units of actual dwarfs are going to be very similar color scheme. Um, but the army kind of lends itself 
quite well to introducing a bit of variability because they have other things like metallic metal constructs kind of stuff and bull centaurs and hobgoblins. hobgoblins. Yeah. So th- it kind of lends itself to adding variability without consciously, you know, doing different things between units. Yeah. So, so Taylor, you've been a little quiet. Um, I know that, that um, you're playing demons. Demons are, I think, a bit of a... Um, a pain in the butt? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they are. Um, I think, you know, I think they're a fun army to play, but I think they're... they're um, but trying to put it together? Trying to make a visual, you know, feast for the eyes when you have such disparate models that have such strong looks in the fluff. Yeah, such strong fluff behind them. Like, yeah. very deeply ingrained thoughts about what a corn unit looks like what does each unit looks like well, like not even that it's even just like trying to put together like a semi-thematic army with having units in them that hate each other and trying to figure out why they would be following each other and all that and trying to tie it together with what everyone already thinks the unit should be mm. yeah yeah yeah, I I mean I think you've 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 started down the right path. I mean, so you had a lot of false starts, um, a little bit, and and so <laughs> so this actually kind of leads into talking about test models, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and and you know you, you've you've painted some things and then painted over and what have you, but I think you know where you've got to with your demon your demon prince model, you've kind of got this blended. Uh, um, kind of looks like metal but also kind of looks rotting uh look which you know your your army is primarily corn and nurgle yeah so i think that looks really good um so what do you feel about you know having that same uh theme across all the units even though you're going to have blood letters you're probably going to have you know pink horrors um things that aren't you know core to the to the corn nurgle well theme. i I'm biased and I really like Nurgle, so I'm going to try and have <laughs> thematic Nurgle. Nurgle throughout the entire thing, even with like the pink horrors and stuff, which I'm going to put blue anyways and have them be blue horrors, but <laughs> I just have to figure out how to make them rotting and decay and all that. Huh. Huh. I kind of like yeah, I, can. I kind of like the the kind of giving everything a bit of a metallic look kind mm-hmm. of thought. That would kind of form a common tie between everything. Yeah. <laughs> like Nurgle stuff could be metal with kind of green shading green washes and corn could be metallic with like red washes on it kind of yeah that's a, that's a definite possibility yeah absolutely um there's so also a way to of... kind of incorporate those those fluffy images of what those units look like with your own theme throughout yeah yeah i i mean i think demons is probably one of the harder ones to get to to work well i think i think bretonians is probably the easiest one to mess up Mm -hmm. Um, i would say both of those armies you can end up with a lot of models that look amazing individually but together it just looks kind of like a mess yeah yeah for sure (laughs) and Um, even a lot of the display armies you see like gw present and when you look through some of the books and there's a demon army obviously it's all very nicely painted but it's kind of like what am i looking at here it's a bit of an eyesore somebody vomited all over the table here yeah yeah and i think that's tricky i think you know basing is definitely one way that you can but pull things together um and and uh but i think you know coming up with interesting fluff for your own army 
you know, and saying, here's, here's why it all looks like this can really help with the visualization of, of what it is that you're going to actually put on the models. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've got fluff for an army list that I'm working out, which will be fun. Is it a really fluffy army list? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost Nurgle with two demon princes. Or is it like one of those things where you write a horribly cheesy army list and then try and justify it with fluff? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Which some people do do. Oh no, it's a fluffy list, honestly. <laughs> no, it's going to have two demon princes working together. <laughs> hand in hand. Corn and Nurgle. <laughs> Best buddies. Are they BFFs gonna, till they die. You need to m model them so that when you put them side by side, they're actually holding, holding hands. hands skipping you could do it oh, buddy <laughs> if, you, if you do that you'd so, be my hobby hero <laughs> <laughs> so to go back on track um the one thing i just wanted to cover off before we wrap up this section is about the test models mm -hmm. um so so ricky you alluded to them a little bit earlier um it can be really beneficial to to take your paint scheme um uh, paint it thinly uh on on one of the models that you want to do it doesn't even have to be painted terribly well mm -hmm. um but even just proportionally to right. kind of show here's the you know the main color for the body here's the highlight color here's the 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 you know details color and here's a base color and then just kind of give it the squint test you yeah. know uh squint at it or, or put it, it back put it six bit. feet away uh, and say does that look nice right um, and one thing that always when i do that one thing in the past that always jumped out at me is that I'll paint the colors on, you know, sitting pretty with the model quite close to me, paint on what I think is going to look good colors and then put it back on the table and stand back and just nothing pops out at all. I haven't chosen anything that's, that's bright enough to kind of pop out. Cause when I'm painting something close, you can see all the details when you're painting a model <laughs> close to, you know, like the intricacies of the colors, but when you put it away, you need something. Can't see that upper so lip with, anymore. Exactly. <laughs> with both of my armies, I've ended up being like, I just need to put some color in there to just stand out. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to end up looking Something dull on the it. table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that can be especially tricky with 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 the very small pieces. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So so don't be afraid to paint paint the uh, a test model. Um, yeah, paint two test models. Paint a few yeah. different color <laughs> schemes and, and see what they look like. If you don't slather the paint on too thickly, you can always paint over them. Yeah, you can and, always primer uh, over it. And, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and Taylor's chuckling because he's, I don't know how many times. <laughs> how many test models you done? Well, his, 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 his skull <laughs> cannon. This is the problem. Yeah, his skull cannon has been repainted. Are you jumping no test models? Yeah, has been repainted four times. Only one of them, though. Only one of them. The other one's still bare plastic. It's always tough with big kits like that because, you know, you you might know how you do your, your blood letters that write the back, but <laughs> you don't know how you're going to do the the rest of the machine. And right. so you might end up repainting parts of that machine a couple well, times. I definitely know how I'm so. going to do the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same way. Yep. All right. <laughs> so when you, when you paint, and you, will you always start with some just rank and file troops for the army because everything everything's going to be built around them and uh, that's how i do it yeah. i think so i think i mean you're going to have to paint the core yeah and so if you don't like the core um first off you probably shouldn't collect the army Cortex. but if you if you can't figure out a good paint scheme for your core the rest isn't going to bind together uh, yeah and i i just like when i paint an army i like to get it out of the way so i always do all the rank and file first save the characters for dessert mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah delicious and usually by then you've got um 
you're so good at the color yeah. scheme that you can. That's one reason I'll always save it. characters yeah. to later. Yeah, yeah when the, I get around to them. Yeah, so by the time you get to the characters and you, you're like, oh, I, I'm actually gonna slow down. I'm already doing this pretty fast, but I'm gonna slow it down and take my mm -hmm. time on it. Then that character looks way better. Paint so. those background cuz first. Yeah. yeah. Nobody'll ever see them. Yeah. You can mess them up all you want. Um, your your comment about paint scheme reminds me that that um, when I was visiting your house the other day and I'm airbrushing that that the tree model, um, I saw this uh, color palette um, painted onto your paint board. Um, with like little notes saying temple guard and, and stuff beside <laughs> it. So there was like, uh, it, it looked like six or seven paints. And in some cases, um, they were blended together, um, kind of like little blocks and blobs with little notes beside them, just painted onto the board. Yeah. So what that, those are little color swatches. Um, cause you know, when I first decide on a color scheme, I, I just take out all the paints, line them up, you know, in the pots and be like, okay, I think this is close. But I might have two or three blues that are kind of the same value but different hues, and I want to see which one you know would would be in the same scheme um, so, better. So, what do you mean by value and hues? So the hue is the actual color. So the you know red is a hue, orange is a hue, um, yellow is a hue. Um, then the value of that is the um, the lightness or the darkness of it. So um, you know. Uh, high value yellow is screaming skull is that what it's called now yeah. and then the um low value would be something that's just kind of a almost a, a yellow brown um like so, xv88 or yeah one of those, yeah. One of those down there mm. and, and then you know the same thing with the uh the reds you can get um all the way down to what is it the uh well if you really want to you could use like rhinox hide which is a very warm uh brown and take that all the way up to the really bright reds and the pinks and that gives you um or my personal favorite is the um cadian flesh tone that's a good final highlight for red i think yeah. um so yeah so those are the the you know color families you kind of break them out into those schemes of the uh, different values of the same hue and so um, yeah so what I'll do is if I had just been priming some models on that board I'll usually um, have the same primer down there like the black primer and I'll pop open the the paint pots and start painting out color swatches so that I can see how the paint looks on the same kind of primer um, then once I kind of figure out okay so I know I'm pretty sure that this is the the set I want, I'll actually start on that same board, paint them into a strip, you know, the exact same way I would on the model, whereas I go through and do one big long strip that's a base coat, and then I take the next color and I blend that into the strip, but leaving a little bit of the base coat on the left, and just keep going like that until you get, excuse me, there we go. I had a burp. <laughs> uh, so you're going from the dark to the light all the way on this little strip. Now that you really see how how it blends, um, you do a couple of those until you find the right hue in there that you're wanting. Or maybe, you know, sometimes you want to shift your hues. I usually like to do color, you know, hue shifts up at the high end on my models. Like that's how I did the Rudy noses on the goblins. And I'm doing the same thing on my skinks with their bellies. Um, but, uh, 
And then, and then you then you take a little snapshot with your phone, yeah, right, to keep so track of it. The, for me, it's important to take lots of notes. I take my notes with my phone, um, and then I just upload those photos to Flickr. Um, they're usually private to me, so most people can't see them. Some of them, if they, uh, if people ask me a question about how I do something, sometimes I just turn them on or repost them. Um, so there, you know, it's good to have those notes because you know, once you're starting an army, I might, you know, I might do those colored tests one week and it might be a week before I come back and I still won't remember which because the paint names are impossibly hard to remember now. So, and, and they're so close in shade a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to take the notes and um, and keep track of stuff like that. Um, uh, it, it really will help you, especially if uh, if you have, a, you know, hobby ADD and you're, you know, like, I'm not focusing on one particular army right now. I'm, you know, I have an army that I play so I can paint two or three other armies at this time. So <laughs> if you're jumping around a lot, then having those notes, you're like, oh, yep, yep. That's how I did it. Okay. And so, then jump sounds back like to a horrible thing to have. But, <laughs> but then after I do those color strips, that's usually where I do a, a test model because looking at something on a 2D surface, um, is nothing like what it, what it looks like on a 3D surface, and I'm in fact I'm running into that now because I just did my uh, the strip that I had done for my temple guard. I'm getting onto a model now, and I'm feeling like there's not enough uh, mid tone in the value, you know, in the value um, showing through. I'm getting too much dark and too much of the light, and so there's just like a lot of contrast there, and I maybe want a little more mid tone. So I'm probably gonna work on that some more. Okay, interesting. Um, so one of the things, actually, and this will be the final point, I think. Um, one of the things that I've observed in in watching how you paint um, is is the range of of colors that you use to achieve the look that you're going for. Um, and so, and I've experimented with it a little bit myself. It makes a huge difference. So instead of using, um, you know, let's say you wanted to paint something. Um, green um, and so you've got a green paint that is you know the kind of color that you're going for and then you know if you read the kind of painting 101 it says use a dark green to shade and a light green to highlight um, and instead of doing that um, you might have um, four or five colors going down and four or five going up um, and you apply you know varying amounts of them depending on the on the effect that you're going for and so you know, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little in terms of numbers, but I've definitely seen like five or six pots of paint open in front of you just to do one color on a model. Yeah, so so my goblin, <laughs> it's true. My my goblin skin, if you count the primer, which I, I, I usually don't, but it would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven colors. Um, don't count the primer. That's six colors just to do the goblin skin. And um, Yeah, it's know. green. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's green, but there's you do you, know, do you mix colors. between those colors as well, or is it, you just use no. six colors out the pot? I I use I paint straight from the pot. Mm -hmm. I thin it down a bit, and I paint straight from the pot. So yeah, but it, but it's 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 very gently layered. Yeah, very thin paint, and it layers up. And so if you get really close to my models, and and it's pretty easy to see this if you go to my Flickr feed and click on the full-size image, you will see the, the color banding on my models. Um, 
you know, it's there. I'm not trying to hide it. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. not. But but from anything, you know, like from 12 inches or more away, it just looks it looks very very smooth. Well, yeah, it even it's something that y you can see with a camera, but it's actually hard to see even just holding the model in your hand. Like yeah. I can see that color banding when I zoom in on those photos. Uh, I can't see it when I'm even I'm looking at it with my naked eye on some of them. Yeah. So, you know, it's there, but yeah, you know, you just like for the goblins, you know, it, I can, I'll just give you an example. I with mean, the goblins. Yeah, six different colors on yeah. a little patch of goblin skin already sounds yeah, like so a lot. It of, starts with a, a lot of fading there. Yeah. So the base coat of wog flesh, three colors max. And then you go to war boss green and that kind of layers everywhere except the deepest recesses and then scarsnit green. That's where you start to actually build definition by catching the top of noses and cheekbones and lips and all of that stuff. And then you hit nurgling green, which is, is actually just a really kind of um, light green, a lot of white in there. And you just go on the top of the very tip of the nose, maybe on the tip of a lip, uh, you know, the tip of ears, things like that. And then I do a huge shift where I go over to the kiss love flesh and then the Cadian flesh tone to give it that Rudy, that Rudy look. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, and to tie that all back to the, the, um, army composition, um, when you're thinking about your army, a lot of the time you got to be thinking about what's the standard that I'm going to be painting this to, right? So if you're just painting it to a tabletop standard where it's going to look good at the battlefield from three three feet away, um, you don't need to go to that level of detail, right? No. You're if you're wanting to create, you know, that that work of art army that people are blown away by, then you know you kind of need to go into this, you know, um, building out the palette for the each unit or or you know each group of units remembering all of the paints and taking detailed notes and, and creating a, a, an in-depth palette so that you, you have, um, you know, those smooth color changes. Um, and, and I'm, this is all learning for me and I've been painting for quite a while. And so because, it, because it was learning for me, I thought it would be useful for other people to, mm -hmm. to know about it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that about wraps up, uh, the hobby horse, um, and we'll roll on in to the art of war. The Art of War. Okay, so Art of War. We're going to be talking about Death Stars. So uh, Death Star is a tactic that, uh, you know, you see uh, on occasion in uh, in tournaments and in, in uh, casual play. Um, Tom, why don't you de define for us, you know, kind of what are the characteristics of a Death Star? The characteristics of a Death Star. <laughs> Yes. You can destroy entire planets with a single laser beam. You know, you know, you joke about it, but that's kind of where the name came from, right? Well, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's, you know, one one but weapon that you've invested one everything in. There's weakness that you can't exploit. <laughs> one unit. Is there, though? There are some weaknesses which we'll go into later. All right, all right. One at a time. Tom, tell us what is a Death Star. It's really a kind of eggs in one basket kind of list. You, have, you build one incredibly powerful unit that is the majority of the points in your list, and then the rest of the list is just designed to support that one unit. And the success or failure of, of the list in general is going to hinge on whether that unit gets to where it needs to be and fights who it needs to fight and how well that one unit does. Okay. Okay, so, so why would you... Uh even think about taking a Death Star? Because what you're effectively saying, 
like let's say in a 2500 point battle mm-hmm. you're saying i'm gonna tie mm-hmm. up at For least like 1500 points into into a single unit yeah and um and let it run amok on the battlefield sure okay so i've only got a thousand points of other stuff right so what do you need other stuff for when you have one unit that'll crush anything it, <laughs> it touches? Okay. So so you have to be very confident that whatever right. your whatever your Death Star is, it will it will crush. You need to be confident that that's gonna beat any other unit that your opponent can throw at you because that's where it's gonna you know that's where your success or failure hinges. If somebody else can beat that one unit and you have all your points tied up in it, then you're screwed. So it doesn't necessarily need to be able to beat all of your opponent's units together at the same time, because that's what you're going to use the rest of your list to do, is to build the right support to tie up their units so you can take them on one at a time. But you need to be able to beat any other unit I mean, in I your opponent's army. Like, point-wise, you only really need... Because odds are they're not going to kill your 1,500-point unit. Right. So, I mean, as long as you can grind out a thousand points of destruction with that unit, you're going to win. So that's what I'm, that's what I would say is the main, one of the main motivations to run in a Death Star list is the kind of points denial aspect of it. You have one unit that you've tied up a lot of points and presumably it's a very powerful unit. If your opponent wants to win or if they want to get a big win over you, they're going to need to, to beat that mm-hmm. unit. So, so this is a unit that, that almost by definition has to have um multiple characters in it mm-hmm. yeah most death stars would have multiple characters for both damage output purposes and for kind of um defensive kit out defensive purposes. purposes so that that was would be on my list the next you know main motivation to running a death star is that you can group together a lot of expensive troops and a lot of characters um and allow them to share certain kind of protections granted by items or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, magic resistance being one. The obvious one. Being yep. the obvious mm-hmm. choice. Locusts for demons. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, some army-specific ones like the World Dragon Banner. Everybody yep. knows about, of course. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you can group all of your characters into a unit with the World Dragon Banner, they're protected from death magic, which is obviously the bane of of characters out there and yep. demons yep and yes, then and demons the other great example of a of a, a defensive item like that is the rune more for ogres um which any magic missile or direct damage spell you try to cast on the unit that contains the rune more um you have to roll a dice and if you roll a two up you have to pick another unit to target um with that spell yeah so so great defensive items you can put on a, on a Death Star. So so some of them will be army specific. Some of them mm-hmm. are big rulebook items like magic resistance items. Um, so ultimately you're you're protecting all of those points, and because you've got multiple characters in there, um, each of these characters can take a different bit of kit to help protect. Right. Um, and then and then the flip side is you can take killy characters or or very well armored characters mm-hmm. uh, or both um, right to to sit in the front line and actually mm-hmm. p- right. pound if out a beating you can fill yeah. your front rank with a lot of very high armor saves and ward saves then you also are going to minimize any any damage you receive back mm-hmm. okay all right cool okay so that's kind of what a death star is um, mm-hmm. and and you know 
kind of the thought that goes into creating one. So when when Eighth Edition first came out, and it became obvious how powerful you know big units were in this game, people thought the game was going to turn into a kind of arms race as to which army can produce the ultimate killing machine of a unit, and then the winner is going to be whoever produces the the killiest unit. But luckily, there's a lot of a lot of anti Death Star tactics out there, which dwellers below. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, dwellers below. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Smooth <laughs> dwellers below. Uh, okay, so so let's actually go into let's go into the um, um, some of the the uh, typical Death Stars that you might see. Mm, some units, some armies that are particularly notorious for them. Yep, yep. Go for it. Well, so the the one that springs to mind um, is ogres. Yep. That often, you often, I would maybe even say generally see them played as, as a Death Star kind of army in tournaments. Yep. Either the Gut Star or the Bull Star. Yep. So the Gut Star is, it, so both of those are, are based on the name of the the yep. standard unit in their in their core, right? So yeah, you, you either have Ogre either. Bulls who are cheaper mm -hmm. or the Iron Guts. Who have who, great weapons and a bit more armor. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, you generally, generally the gut star will be about will be eighteen models strong in total. So for the monstrous infantry, yeah. For, so you're getting three attacks in. You're getting three ranks of six. Yep. And each model is able to make three full attacks. Yep. So you're looking at like what fifty four attacks plus whatever then, extras but your then, characters get. Yeah, you get. replace probably three of the guys in the front rank with characters so you're getting yep. even more attacks from them you're getting three big ogres in the front rank who are going to have some kind of ward save or arm mm -hmm. or high armor save in the characters and if you have all characters in the front then they can't just start picking away at the the back right or if you get charged in the flank even you can just make way all of the ca so the, the flank would then just be three characters so so you're you're effectively <clears throat> preventing your opponent from being able to attack the unit directly and thus gain combat resolution to sure. try and mm -hmm. to try and break the death star. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you just cast troll guts on the whole thing and you've got regen on the whole unit too. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely magical support can can right. really help help that. Um so let's go into some of the other the other um death stars that you see in other army lists. So I faced uh the I'm going to call it the World Dragon Star <laughs> um, in the High Elf list because I faced two slight variations on it. Pick your unit, put World Dragon on it, <laughs> and stick go. all your characters in it. <laughs> Step yeah. four, profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, so in the first game, I, I faced um, the White Lion version. So the White Lions have a three-up armor save against shooting. Mm -hmm. Baron of the World Dragon gives them a two-up armor, a two-up ward against magic, against magic everything, magic everything, and, and they're stubborn. And they're stubborn, and with the you know leadership ten, um, and yeah, and enough ranks to you know break your balls on basically. Right, because they can fight in four ranks. Yeah, they can fight. Well, if it's a horde, they can fight in four ranks. This Even was just, not a horde. This was not a horde. It was mm. twenty-five white lions or thereabouts, okay. um, and uh, the front rank was all characters plus the champion. Um, well, no, actually, I think you had the command group in the front rank and the two wizards in the second rank, mm -hmm. which makes sense, right? You yeah. can, mm -hmm. if you put wizards into a unit like that, you can take full command. And then only fighty characters need to go in the front right. Only need to make way. Yep. Wizards can be protected. Sure. 
Okay, so that was that's the kind of the world dragon star. The other one was dragon princes, right? Um, who you know have two up armor, two up ward against flaming, and and then the two up ward against all magical stuff from the from the the banner of, of that sounds yeah. really fun. Yeah, and ethereal and SPDM three <laughs> <laughs> immune to warhammer. Yeah, I just broke dwellers below. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's. Um, <laughs> That that's uh, high elves. Um, other ones that we've seen. Vampire counts do really good. Um, Death stars. They usually do it as the cav. Yep. Cav one. Or they have a a grave guard version. Yeah, they can. Um, and I then think, they, they run I, the blender lord in there. And, yeah, I think yeah. the blender lord and the cav bus is usually. Is his name I think actually more the blender lord? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's you, anything that fights against it's like putting them in a blender. Yeah. Hey, he will he will literally blend units to death very quickly. Like we're units. gonna use him to kill Belagar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not custom building characters <laughs> to fight Belagar, right? Named characters. Yeah, named that. characters. Um, only, but. His build effectively allows him to kill ten models a turn. Yep. Yeah, especially uh, anything he's really good at file. killing just rank and file. Yeah, he yeah. just he um, just blends through rank and so, file. So and then if there's other characters there, you use like a white. He has king the or killing power of the Kadai Destroyer. Forced down into a teeny tiny little vampire <laughs> body. Teeny tiny living space. Let's see. Yeah. Like uh, some, the orcs can do some pretty good uh, yep. death stars with with the savage. Yeah, corn. savage orcs. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, corn star. Absolutely, corn you star. can do a corn star. Uh, why not? I mean, uh, corn has wow. a lot of killy, killy yeah, stuff. For sure. You just put a herald and Karnak in there and just. Yeah. Go to town. Yeah, you can run around quite a bit. I mean, I've even run Death Star with what else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go on? Yeah. 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 Tell us more about Tell that. us about the, the successes of the Wood Elf Death Star. Well, you know, um, I, I don't know about successes, but um, it certainly <laughs> ruined Taylor's day. Um, so what, one of the problems, obviously, with Wood Elves is no saves against magical attacks for mm-hmm. your forest spirits. So... Uh, I took a defensive kit, the Rhymer's Harp, which gives everything a five up ward, and then um, um, magic resistance three items. So there was a two up ward against magic and just kind of ruined Taylor's day. But it's the same idea, right? There's 1,511 points, I think, tied up in that unit, mm-hmm. seven characters in there. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole front, the whole front rank. Uh, is there so that you can cast Savage Beast of Horus, right? Right. Um, sure. You bubble up that, that <clears throat> spell, and all of a sudden you're pumping out, you know, 40 strength, seven attacks, um, which is just going to ruin. Well, it's going to delete pretty much any unit. Hey, right. Didn't absolutely kill my unit. Didn't absolutely <laughs> kill it. On the first turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to draw attention to one oft overlooked Death Star. <laughs> do it, do it. Which is the Mino Bus. <laughs> Which is just an awesome <laughs> the Mino bus. It's just an awesome uh, Beastman unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one of those at Gotacon. There was, yeah. yeah. Pop, Pop is, is dead. dead. Yeah, he was running the Mino bus. Shout I out made... to Pop and Dead. Pop I, I... is dead for running the Mino bus. I made the same noise when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, so that's basically a, a, a three wide block of minotaurs three or four ranks but the front rank is just your um doom bull who has a one-up re-rollable armor save and any successful armor save he gets a bonus attack and then a bsb and another hero level minotaur both who have four up wards so it's incredibly hard to score any damage against them yep 
the front rank alone is kicking out, I think, 16 attacks, and then you've got the supporting attacks. Plus, every time they win a combat, they gain another attack. That's a, the, the Minotaur rule. Yep. Every round of combat you win, you win and get another attack. So, so with that, you can't even you know take the early game strategy of just feeding them some chaff. Because they get because better. Because they're just getting better and better. And in turn six, if they f they finally make it into your important unit, they're just going to steamroll it with yep. the, the ten attacks each they now have after eating chaff all game. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. Um um, let's go over a few more units and then and then we will um, we'll start talking about you know kind of tactics with and against the, the Death Star. Mm -hmm. So um, Lizardmen, um, I think for sure they do it with the Cold One Riders. Um, they, you put a um, you know a couple of uh, old blood cowboys or or Scarvet cowboys in the front of that, and you've got one up again. You potentially rerollable armor saves, mm -hmm. um, and and you know. Uh, Scarvets have four attacks at strength five by themselves, and Old Bloods have five. Um, never mind all the all the rest of the unit. So, um, and then uh, Dark Elves are starting to to have these uh, the, uh, this the incredible sounding new fast Whoa. cavalry Death Star, oh, which no. is just sounds absurd. It can run rings around your entire army yep. until it finds the combat it wants and then just jump in. Yeah. Or so not it's, and just kill you with magic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's maybe 8 to 10 of the, the, the Doomfire warlocks. warlocks who yeah. have a four board save, so it's a, a real nice place to have characters to look out. So. <laughs> It's true. We'll get back. We'll get to that in tactics. I'm sorry, I can't help it. It just pops into my brain. Note in the tactics section, Aiden may be mentioning dwellers below. <laughs> no, I'll be done by then. <laughs> so you have a, a fast cavalry unit in which you put four or five masters on dark steeds with great weapons. So they have, they're fast cav two, and once you get in combat, you just push them all into the front rank, and you're looking at. 15 attacks with great weapons, one-up armor saves on everybody. Or and because up. they've got ASF, they, they ASF and the ASL cancel out and they go at initiative 7. Right, they seven. go at initiative 7-ish yeah. or something with their great Gross. weapons. And uh. it's just an incredible Death Star in that it doesn't even cost that much points for the five Masters and the unit of Warlocks. You're looking at something like 600 points, 700 so what you're saying is more a like a Star Destroyer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could say. <laughs> so you can obviously, it's yeah. obviously not like your be-all and end-all unit, but it's incredibly killy, and it's so good at just picking its fights, you know, much more so than the other Death Stars that get pretty cumbersome. Yep. So, and with the the Ogre Gut Star, we're, we're talking about a unit that's you know, 24 yep. centimeters wide. Yeah, something which is you know just eleven inches cumbersome. Yeah, yep. and I guess inches. when we talk about beating Death Stars, we'll get to uh, how yeah, easy actually, it is. Yeah, this, actually, uh, this is a a good thing to go into. Actually, let's talk okay. about let's talk about how Death Stars get used in the game and and how you can how you play with one, how you play with one, well, and how you play we, against one. Before we move on from the um from the notorious Death Stars, do we want to... I see Ricky has a list in front of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. In which he has written down his Skaven Death Star. Yeah, yeah let's is, talk about let's that. Let's see how that gets run. This is the one that... um, And it's in no way anyone that I created myself. It was kind of a net listing that I came across, and I, I tried playing it, and it was a lot of fun. Because one thing, it, it does become quite a few points, but it... um. Because the rest of the Skaven army is so cheap, you still have a lot of other toys on the table to play with. 
So unlike other armies where your Death Star becomes so many points and you don't really have anything else to do except try and barely support that unit, um, you still get to do stuff all across the table while doing this. And so it's a Grace here on the Screaming Bell, um, which he's the general, um, and uh, he's got, you know, the, the Screaming Bell gives the Grace here and the Bell itself a four aboard, so he's kind of defensive. Um, and he takes the fencer's blades, um, which gives him weapon skill 10. So if people are trying to attack him, he can uh, usually, any rank and file are usually hitting on fives. Um, and you, you usually count on somebody to issue a challenge, and then he can scurry to the top of the bell and not suffer. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I actually love it when people issue challenges. I'm like, yes, thank you. Okay, my grace here can't be attacked now. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Uh, I also give him Scalm to heal him up in case he takes some damage coming in. Usually he takes one cannon shot or something that might almost kill him or something. Might ring his bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's he goes into a block of Storm Vermin um, with the bell. Uh, once he goes in the bell, um, and any any other character that deploys with him in the in the Screaming Bell unit can never leave it. So you got to kind of plan on what's going to be in your Death Star um, and you don't really have the options to deploy those characters anywhere else, but that's usually what you're doing anyways with the Death Star. So this uh, Storm Vermin, um, you don't have to run them at 40, but I usually did, and um, they would have, uh, usually gave them the Storm Banner, which shuts down a lot of shooting, so it lets the this Death Star get there. This The Storm Banner will mean that, you know, Ballistic Skill Shooting is minus two, um, more machines have to roll four up, uh, flyers can't fly, and it keeps going at least for one turn in it. Then you roll on a four up, it keeps going and going and going and going. Um, <clears throat> I give them a weapons team that's a Doom Flayer. So between the Screaming Bell and the Doom Flayer, you're getting a lot of impact hits on the charge. And you can also give. Um, I gave the unit um, the Storm Banner. Sometimes you can give them, if you know you really need the speed, you can give them the you know, plus one movement and swift stride banner on your um, BSB if you wanted to, and then put the storm banner on another unit of storm vermin just to get that in the list. But you, uh, then you put, um, there's there's three um, kind of killy things that you throw back into this list, you know, besides the, all of that. Um, you throw in two assassins, um, one with the weeping blades and a potion of strength, and the other one with the Sword of Antiheroes and the other Trickster Shard. And then one uh, BSB. Um, kind of doesn't matter what standard you give them. You can give them flaming attacks. Or in this case, I gave them the Razor standard so that they have armor piercing. And that's a solid... I think that's a very solid choice across Death Stars uh, yeah. pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Like, unless they're very unless high strength. Already, like strength six or something. Yeah, yeah. And I would say flaming attacks would be a bad B choice bad on choice. a Death Star because yeah. there's a lot of it is now. two up yeah. flaming out yeah. there these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the unit itself is uh, seven wide, so the screaming bell takes up three files. Mm -hmm. um, so you have two files on each side, and um, in the early game, you know three of those slots are your uh, command group and one is the bsb and then as soon as you uh roll into the turn that you decide you're going to charge in um you have to reveal the assassin with the potion of strength and drink the potion of strength 
he displaces the BSB to the second rank, and then you charge in um, with the unit, and then you use make way to get um, the other assassin in wherever you want in the front rank. And the BSB usually just has, because he's taken a magic standard, he usually just has a great weapon, no, not really any defensive kit. So he stands in the second rank and just swings with one strength six attack. But, you know, you get the impact hits from the bell. There's an ogre on the bell. You have the storm vermin actually don't do very much of the fighting. It's usually the the assassins. And it's a very anti... It's actually a Death Star that's good at killing other Death Stars because the assassins are really good at killing characters, especially with the other trickster shard. Mm. So, so what you're saying is the assassins are kind of like X-Wings? <laughs> I would say the assassins are kind of like assassins in a way. <laughs> but yeah. No analogy needed. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I, I had a lot of fun playing with it. Um, there's been, there are things that, you know, it has weaknesses of, but uh, one of the things that people always say is, oh, there's cannons for it. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if they shoot that, then they're ignoring the two A-bombs or the two <laughs> <So> <laughs> Screwed. You're screwed either way. Yeah. So they usually end up shooting at the other stuff and yeah. the, the bell almost always made it into combat. And, uh, and it, it was a fun, it's a fun thing, but the, you know, depending on how you tool up the standards and... You can probably shave off a few of the storm vermin. Um, it, it comes in at about uh, fourteen hundred points, so yeah, it's definitely a spendy thing to do. But mm -hmm. yep, but it's yep. fun. Okay, so so let's go into um, how how to play with the Death Star because you were just talking there about some of the tactics. Um, you know, if, if people are concentrating fire or firepower of any sort on the Death Star. You know there are other units in your army. You've got you've got another <laughs> thousand points to wreck face with. Um, so there, there's definitely the the it it only lends itself to an army where where you can take a bunch. Of, I I feel like anyway, either a bunch of the points uh, kind of really have to come from from core or special. Mm -hmm. They can't be coming out like the mm -hmm. the Death Star itself can't right. be coming out of you rare. Wanna generally be building it out of ideally core. out of core ideally because yeah. then you have all like the good stuff from special to um Pop to it support up. it with yeah yeah and with the eternal guard they were coming out of core um as long as you had a, a high highborn uh leading them you could you could take them out of core points mm -hmm. i think your storm vermin are they core or core, 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 core yeah, as well ogres and are ogres, ogres are core bulls and iron guts are both core yeah yeah um oh. i think one of the reasons that the warlock one works is because the points are so cheap yeah the points right? is low yeah, those um, warlocks even though they're yeah, rare, 250 they points for 10 of the warlocks and then you're just <sighs> adding in characters and there, but I wish I could get ten cavalry for those 250 ten points. Yeah, and those ten warlocks themselves have a four-up ward and count as a level three wizard now. That's just zapping uh, you with doom bolt. Yeah, yeah, they're horrible. You don't ever want to face dark elves. No, I want to play dark elves. Shut up. <laughs> You're a dirty man. When you buy a dark elf army, I'm kicking you out of the house. Yeah, you're out of the group. <laughs> you're out of the group. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're like unless you do it, then it, serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you can spend your cortex by building a massive, awesome Death Star. Yep. Yep. Good way to go. Yeah. So, so you want to talk about how you might support like the rest of the army? Um, you, you've you've obviously built the Minobus before. I've played with the Minobus before. Um, um, what were the sorts of things that you took 
to support it. So, given that the entire strategy with the Death Star, your success is going to hinge on getting it into the combats you want it to get into, and not allowing it to be overwhelmed from all sides by by the opposition, which is particularly important with the Minobus because Minotaurs themselves are pretty squishy. Only the characters have those good saves, so if you get pinned on a couple of different flanks um, and you can't make way with the characters, then you're going to take a whole crap ton of damage. Mm -hmm. So the strategy has to be to get it into combat, first of all, uh, keep it in one combat at a time, preferably, and not get it annihilated by shooting and stuff first. So... Ideally, to support that, I'd want first a bunch of fast chaff to try and control the movement phase, redirect people who are getting a little too close to comfort to my flanks. Um, fast chaff also for hunting down war machines that are going to be pinging away at, at my Death Star. Um, and additionally, I'd like to support that with some just kind of big tar pits. So big anvil units. Yeah, big anvils who are going to hold up. You know, if I want to get into one combat at a time and my opponent has, say, three or four pretty high points cost units in their armies that I want to get around to killing, then I want to try and pin a couple of those units for a few rounds of combat while my, my Death Star, the Minobus, deals with one of them and can then focus its attention on some of the ones that are being held up by tarpits. So in the in the specific case, I'd probably bring a couple of 50-man blocks of Ungors, very cheap. Um, if you stay steadfast and stay close to the, the general in BSB, they can generally hang in there for a few rounds of combat. Okay. And the third thing I'd really want to bring in support but can't with the Beastmen is some type of uh, chaff deletion because we're going to go into fighting against a Death Star and one of the tactics we'll talk about is redirecting the Death Star with, with your own chaff. So ideally if you're running a Death Star you want to have something in your army that can just pick off your opponent's chaff early in the game. Some kind of ballistic skill shooting or something. Um, yep. Obviously repeated crossbows or your glade guards, things like that that can yep. just kill a lot of cheap chaffy stuff quickly okay all right um yeah so similarly for me with the with the wood elves um uh i do support it with with glade guard mm -hmm. um uh i also like to have the tree men in there um you know it, it, against you know most lists a tree man very very solid mm -hmm. anvil Right, right, exactly. Because uh, they're stubborn. It's like a one-man tar pit. They are a one-man tar pit. <laughs> I actually also have an Eagle Noble build that is a one-man tar pit because he can get a two-up ward save. And and mm. he sits there and just holds up, you know, whatever I feel like being, holding up. Um, that was the guy I did on your Kadai Destroyer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he's a two-up ward against flaming, but he also has a two-up ward against everything when, he gets, when he gets to one wound. Oh, when he gets to one wound, he has yeah, a two-up ward against yeah, everything. Yeah, the Stone of Rebirth. Interesting. I hope they keep that in the new book. They won't. They won't. <laughs> I know. Aiden said. Well, um, but yeah. So so I'm just I'm just thinking this through now, mm -hmm. right? You know, this, I do run it uh, kind of the same way. I want to have that 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 tar pit unit. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and and yeah, I run. Uh, I think I run wild riders and war dancers to kind of. Uh, um, 
combination delete other chaff in close combat and get back and and worry war machines sure um so cool so so that's kind of how to use how to build a list with one obviously you know ogres they get they get mornfang to yeah. support things um and you know they have lead belchers to to delete pretty much any unit never mind chaff units yep um so let's talk about playing against them okay um, you already alluded to some of it, which is to redirect using chaff. Shoulders oh. blue. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> so most of my experience playing against Death Stars is against the Gut Star. Um, yep. I've played against Ogre players a lot. And um, I've had pretty good success against it. And generally it comes down to kind of making, for me, the way I approach it, it comes down to making a decision at the beginning of the game a kind of calculation as to whether I need to beat that Death Star or whether I can win the game by killing off everything else in the army. <laughs> so for Ogres, it comes down to, like, have they really put 2,000 points in this Death Star? Or is there maybe 1,000 points worth of Mornfang, Thunder Tusk out there that I can get enough points from to still uh, win the game? The easy units? <laughs> Easier than <laughs> yeah. killing a Gut Star. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I will kind of try and form a strategy at the beginning of the game as to whether I am going to actually take on that Death Star. Yeah, so that's your first of, decision. Right. Do you take it on or do you leave it the hell alone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a decision to make early. And if you decide to leave it the hell alone, you need to be pretty confident that you have enough chaff and whatever, you know, tar pits in your army, whatever, that can hold up that Death Star or waylay that best that Death Star for all of the game without losing yourself too many points, you know? Because yep. obviously you're going to lose points in slowing down that Death Star. Yeah. If you're going to let it chew through a, a unit of chaff every turn of the game, then that's going to add up and you, you, know, you have to factor that into the calculation as to whether you're going to win the game by killing off everything that's not the Death Star. Yep, yep, for sure. <clears throat> so... Um... I think I think the the disadvantage of the gut star for sure is is the big footprint, mm -hmm. right? The Which mobility, actually, yeah. but actually makes it easier to redirect. So easy to redirect. Um, so easy and and so easy. And we we covered redirecting in a in we did an it in, podcast, in, in the chat. Right? Yeah, yeah. So if you have a lot of those nice cheap units in your army fast enough, yep. You know, flying preferably to get themselves right in front of the the death star you can really essentially prevent it really moving the yeah. entire game even yep yeah. and, and i think the uh, the other part about it is um let's say you make that decision i that, that there's not enough points on the board mm -hmm. outside of the death star and you have to engage it i think there's a few different ways that you can go about right. engaging and that's it. a decision you particularly be forced to make say you're in a tournament and you need a big win this round in yeah order yeah to, yeah absolutely. you're yeah. never going to get a big win by taking our first strategy which is yeah ignoring the ignoring death star, the death star yeah yeah uh however if if you are able to take out the death star chances are yeah it's a 20 nil type yep, of for situation sure. for you right so so let's talk a little bit about some of the things you can do. Um, one I kind of talked about a little bit. Dwellers below. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. All right. What aren't you going to say? I'm not going to say it. A so, certain number six spell from the law of life. 
<laughs> um, one of them. <laughs> what I what I do want to talk about, we'll get there, uh, is is the kind of the chip away approach, mm-hmm, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because often these do have. Whittle. Yes, we're going to whittle them away. Um, they do have uh, uh, characters in the unit. Um, so even if you are throwing, you know, um, smaller chaffy units or even, even you know, like your your medium attack stuff, right? Um, I'm thinking like a unit of 10 sword masters or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. You, you, can, you can really focus on on the characters uh-huh. because killing the characters wins you points. Right. Even if you don't take out the unit, you know, you might knock 150 points off, 200 points off um, just by getting one character. Things like BSBs, the number of times. They're beautiful. That, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if a, you know, a Death Star needs to hang in there. I actually think that's the first target and, you yeah. have to go for is the BSB and yep. the Death Star because you, you pick that out, they lose their reroll, you've gained 100 points on top of the the points you get for killing the uh, mm-hmm. the model itself and and you've just made all of their leadership tests now a little bit more difficult. Yep. Um, one of the things that's interesting is very few of these uh, Death Stars are are unbreakable, right? I mean, there's a few. Right. Demons is obviously the difference, but most of them... Uh, not even very many of them are immune to psychology. So, uh-huh. so once you've killed that that BSB, they'll often uh, be steadfast because it is such a a big unit. They'll often be steadfast, but but they can still fail a terror check. And they'll often have the yeah they can. They'll often have the the crown of command and as and well. Be, be to be stubborn. Yeah, just no to matter be stubborn, what. Even yeah. if they're outranked. It's very true. Very true. Um, but but once the BSB well, is dead, <laughs> yours is unbreakable. The rats. Yeah. Because oh, they they the bell makes them the bell unbreakable. Makes them unbreakable. Nice. The bell star. So nice. suck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, unbreakable Death Stars are a little tougher to do that with, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I still think the BSB yeah, is is definitely legit. the right the right thing to to take out first. Yep. Leadership ten fails sometimes. Yep. Yep. Um, and not all of them can get leadership ten. Yeah. All right. Um, so, so does. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, can it really, you can get leadership 10. You can take the banner of, uh, um, discipline, which would make me a leadership nine. No, if you've got a leadership nine model in the, in the unit, I don't have any leadership nine that are not monsters. Oh, Ew. well, suck it. You're, you're, yeah. you're, <laughs> suck it. you're, you're unbra- unbreakable anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying, fine. Fine. Anyway, what you're saying is, is valid. Like, so you, you're going to be trying to tenderize this Death Star all game yep. until you really take it on in combat. Yep. And if that tenderizing can be, can be focused on characters, yep. then all the better for it. If that doesn't work, then I mean, there's other spoilers. <clears throat> yeah. So the chaff strategy to pull them away from from the units that you don't want them to get into um, can also be used to to tenderize somewhat and mm-hmm. then and then expose flanks, expose mm-hmm. rears, sure. um, give you give you um, at least some extra combat resolution, even mm-hmm. if the characters can still come and face you. And if you if you do have an army that's better at kind of uh, the ranged tenderizing of the Death Star, you have a lot of shooting in your army. Yep. Then just redirecting for a few rounds anyway is going to be 
beneficial because you get more time to just plink away at it yep pin cushion them with the shooting so absolutely so most yeah you know pick your your tenderizing strategy whether you need to just hit it with successive small units in combat to soften it up a bit or whether you can really focus the shooting or the magic on it yeah magic is obviously a big one there are anti-death star yeah, magic is a big one, and but but almost everyone who's taking a Death Star knows that the magic mm-hmm. is going to hurt them, and so they've got will build some, some kind defense. of protection. You talked about the Rune Maw for ogres. The Rune Maw is really brutal for ogres because it means that it's only most right? what it's only targeting, right? Yeah. So the one thing like that can get shots. around the Rune Maw is the Purple Sun, yeah. because. Um, or other vortexes. Because vortexes, vortexes don't have a target. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So Yeah. Um <clears throat> likewise, um you know, if you look at uh, the Brolux, right? The the Warlock Death mm-hmm. Star unit, they've the they've got yeah, that's what they call <laughs> That's what they call them. Brolux. They've got the Bro-lux. four up ward and then you know there's a magic res Apart two item in there. Slanesh. Um, Everybody takes some slanesh in your army. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> What? They don't have a save a ward save against Slanesh. Wait, what? That's the rule. That's the rule. Yeah, they have Wait. a four up ward save against anything apart from any attack by a, a- demon of Slanesh or lore of Slanesh. Wait, what? Because they <laughs> what, the, what is the this? fluff is that their like souls are continually being like leached by like Slanesh has his grip on their souls. That's I must have missed awesome. something. What are we talking about? Um, With so the warlocks from Slanesh, they get warlocks? no save. The dark elf warlock unit. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that either. Their soul is just tethered to their body, but Sunesh is like sucking it out. Okay. Slath does like to suck things suck out. Suck things out, yeah. Um, so, so you've got the four up ward, and then they throw in the magic res two item, and then they've yep. got a two up ward against spells. Mm-hmm. So, so now is the time to mention that that, <laughs> that spell. Honestly, um, spells like Dwellers Below, like Pit of Shades, or um, final transmutation final trans purple sun those are in there for a reason right yeah. they are they are while the the big death star is a valid strategy this is a very um real risk that you know you can lose half your unit and people people bemoan those people people bemoan those number six spells a lot but really the alternative is having a game dominated by death stars so or or, or a game where you can't take a death star at all because it wouldn't be fair right right you know right. so i like the fact that we can build crazy mm-hmm. lists like this and there's equalizers that you know it's a risk right um you might survive you might not sure or they i mean a death star yeah. yeah a death star used properly will win roll you, game, roll you win exactly when yeah. does win tournaments frequently and yeah for sure in terms of the the ogre death star is a an, a frequent tournament winner. Yep. Um. So the I'm I'm all for the being tools built into those magic claws to kind of neutralize. Yep. Neutralize them. Yeah. Yep. So so um I think we've kind of talked about uh you know the sort of armies that have Death Stars in them. We've talked a little bit about uh, why it's good, why it might be bad to take them, how to play with them, how to play against them. Um. Aside from the final step, is there anything else that we want to mention about Death Stars, or we want to kind of go into, you know, picking our 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 fa- <laughs> favorite Death Star as to uh, you know what one we think is the most effective? Well, we're talking about the strategy of um, kind of softening the Death Star throughout the game, mm-hmm. and then eventually 
you know, so you've, so you've chosen this strategy of you're going to take the Death Star on and you're mm-hmm. going to try and beat it for the big win. So you soften it all game and then eventually you've just got to get in there yep. and crush it. Hopefully you've picked off some of the characters, like you said. You've softened it up. You've reduced the number of attacks that are going to be coming to you by reducing the number of models in the unit. Yep. And eventually it's going to come down to the movement phase to getting your your troops in the position for some kind of nice multi-charge mm-hmm. where yep. you can kind of you, you can really finish off combination of, of extra static combat res from from flanks and 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 rear breaking charges steadfast breaking Bre- ranks yeah. yeah yeah breaking steadfast is 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 definitely a, right. a, a very valid tactic you know getting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's poo-pooing us with his stupid demons, but um, so hopefully you're going to multi-charge it with some kind of unit with enough ranks to break steadfast. Yep, and a unit that brings a big some of the brings hurt. the pain and damage yep. up. But whether that might be a, a cav unit who's or or they're still into your tarpit, right? Yeah, if they're, they're in your tarpit, in your tarpit, um, and, you, and then you you hit them on the flanks and whatever else. When the opportunity arises, go for it. Yeah, I've seen the Mino bus broken and um, routed by twenty high elf spearmen in the flank, Here's just because from static res and stuff. So. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that that people do take the crown of command is because of high model tar pits like right. Skaven slaves, right? Sure, sure. Because <clears throat> at that point they're actually easily outnumbered. Like the Gut Star is only eighteen models, so it's easily outnumbered by fifty slaves. Um, loses steadfast so the character has to have the stubborn crown right there. yeah so work out again targeting characters work out who has the crown and yeah target target yeah absolutely absolutely Ooh, open lists <laughs> well open lists makes it easier but even, well, as soon as they've used as soon the crown as they've the used the crown time, they have to know yeah, who's you, on there you yeah. know who's yeah, who has it yeah and then you can you know send in your assassins mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the beast. Yeah. So don't don't leave that final stage of crushing the Death Star until turn six because then Yeah, you have to be working at it yeah, all game. Work at it all game and try and get that decisive round of combat turn five at least to just give yourself a yep. little margin of error. Because yep. if you don't kill it, likelihood is it's a draw or at or best. A loss, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Okay, so so final thoughts on on um, the most the effective Death Star. Death Star out there. What? what you, wood Elf. <laughs> obviously, the Wood Elf Death Star. Ob. Other, yeah. other than that. Uh, the only time I've beaten Taylor is when I took that Death Star. <laughs> I tell you. Ricky, what what Death Star would do you cringe the most when you see it get put down opposite you on the table? Um, or would you? Probably the ogre one. Yeah. Especially for my night goblins, there's I have absolutely no tools <laughs> against that. Um, but the the thing that I think, like an army that I think could do a Death Star that would just be unbeatable for almost anybody would be Warriors of Chaos, but nobody does them anymore because there's just so many other fun things to play. Because yeah, right. people all pay Demon Princes of Filth instead. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You could do a Death Star and have a Demon Prince flying around supporting that, and that would just be brutal. Could you imagine that? <laughs> no. So, no. Wash your mouth out with soap. Yeah. So, I just, but people don't do that anymore with their, with their Warriors, which is kind of sad. We don't ever see blocks of Warriors yeah on the Sad. table anymore you don't really that's um, all i don't think i saw any unit of infantry warriors at. i had a block of cho- block of chosen against me chosen yeah, yeah but not not normal warriors. not normal warriors and certainly no marauders yeah you know no um, marauders are gone yeah, yeah. yeah. Gone it's, it's a it's a sad day <laughs> sad day yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So you're you're saying that ogres for the win for you? Yeah, ogres probably for the win. Yeah. I'm going gut star as well because the damage output is massive. Um, they can support it really well, like we mentioned, Morn Fang, yeah. fast, just running around, easily killing off chaff and whatever other. Yeah, because they can take that. There's a monstrous cab that can come yeah. in units of two. Yeah, um, yeah. Four is a, is a pretty good number. And I think, saber tusks, and then three yeah, saber tusks, or you'll always see three saber tusks along with the gut star. Yeah, they're just single uh, monstrous war, beast. uh, war beasts. Yeah, yeah, so on a cavalry base, super um, maneuverable. Like, can kill off other chaff in they're combat. Actually pretty, they're yeah. actually pretty nasty in yep. combat. So it it's great support. And then the magic support with the rune more, um, preventing dwellers on the gut star, preventing. Um, I I'm not sure if it prevents hexes. Maybe it prevents hexes on the I don't know. on the gut star too. Yeah. Um, and then also it, I don't think it does. I think it it might be all spells that target it, so I think it wow, might be that would, that would it suck. might be hexes too. So you can't do that to it. Is it is and it then, is it one use only or is it no all <laughs> game? Always. It's a banner. Yeah. No, you can still. You can't even argue. You're one. Yeah, right, you're like, awesome. Well, your your best option is to get a unit in with the um, gut star and then augment the crap out of it, but. You can't even really do that because as soon as you want to have that decisive magic phase, they pull a hell heart on hell you. Heart, yeah. You misscast, you lose all your paradise, and you're screwed that way too. So there's really ways of building into <laughs> yeah. the list the kind of just, answers to all of those anti-Death Star yep. techniques we mentioned. So the Gut Star is just brutal. Yeah. What's, what's actually interesting about the Gut Star, um, I think, is that the, the Wood Elves have an answer to it. Um, and it's not it's not dwellers below. Like wood elves don't have much answers to anything. Um, but it's but, just focus glade guard shooting. Well, glade guard it, it's it's that tenderizing that mm -hmm. you were talking about, and then it's tree men mm -hmm. because you can keep tree men alive and in combat with a gut star pretty much indefinitely. The tricky part is depends on their their character kit out. Right. Right. If they've got a character kit out that like. Um, I've seen a lot of magic weapons to negate ma your walls, magic so. weapon with the sort of striking um, can be nasty, right? Because then they're even in that challenge with the annoyance, they're hitting on fives, right? Um, and so you know, strength five, they're going to wound on fives as well. Can do, um, do wood elves have what it takes to deal the death blow to the death star? I can see how you can pin it with tree men and whittle really it with glade guard shooting, but what do you do to de deliver to, the to final uh, blow? Treekin. Treekin, okay. Treekin are like bigger, badder ogres. Yeah, that's true. They're with just higher initiative. <laughs> with higher initiative, yeah, yeah. And and that's how I've won against uh, ogres at all is is pin with a trema and kill with treekin. Mm -hmm. um, but and, and I think other armies can do that too, right? But they usually tend to use monstrous calf, right? So you pin with some kind of right. uh, anchor <laughs> unit, and then and then stick your your demigriffs in the side or your you know your blood crushers or skull crushers or whatever else mm -hmm. on the side. So yeah, I, my my main anti gut star strategy with the beast man, I did pretty well against the gut star. Generally, just get super. So to set this up, I have a, a herdstone at the back of the field with all my wizards around it. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get the hell heart within range of that. So I get super <laughs> aggressive, push one of my big units of gauze up the field. Make sure I'm going to get the charge using chaff and redirection tactics. Get in there, six dice, uh, 
Mind Razor. Mind Razor. Mind Razor. Six dice Mind Razor. 40 attacks later, there's a big dead, ogre-shaped dead pile of pool ogres. of yeah. blood on the yeah. battlefield. Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, it's the number six spell, right, yeah, that, that sure. is equalizing. So uh, That's the number five, isn't it? No, no mine is number six. six. Pit, pit of Shades is, is number shade five, five yeah. right. which also can equalize. Uh, yeah. yeah, which, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow has two yeah. number six spells. And, and I agree, the gut star is just, it's just very hard to beat. Yeah. Very hard to beat. Okay, so so that was Death Stars, um, and I think uh, that's the end of the Art of War. Oversized Meatball. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up here with um, just a, a few uh, little announcements. One is next, next episode we'll be talking about um, U.S. Masters um, and particularly how that pertains to the Pacific Northwest region. Um, we're also going to talk about, um, the sparkle party deathmatch paint scores. Um, Ricky's going to talk us through how the scoring is going to be changing. Um, we'll have another contender to try and um, bring down Belagar iron hammer. Never. It's unclear, unclear who that's going to be just yet. Um, and, uh, if you have suggestions for what you would like to see, um, uh, or to hear us cover in the art of war or in the hobby horse sections, please let us know. You can get in touch with us, uh, podcast at dimensionalcascade.com, or you can go to our forums and join the forums. Um, likewise, we are Cascade Podcast on Twitter. And uh, if you're feeling like you've just listened to, you know, two hours-ish of the most amazing hobby time you've ever spent, uh, you could go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be awesome. Okay, so I think about that, wraps, that, that about wraps it up for uh, this episode. Uh, anybody have any final thoughts? Mm. Boobs. <laughs> Thanks. Nice. Thanks. Nice. I didn't Thanks. even have to say it. Thanks, Tom. No, I, I was thinking it. <laughs> I would say if people have an idea of the special characters they'd like to see us throw in the pit. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah, we're excited to to, to buy and paint. So the characters. idea we're, we're looking for somebody who's not just gonna auto win against the current champion, but will face will Something pose a nice challenge and semi balanced. Yeah. We yeah. thought Queek. We thought Queek had a chance, but just. Well, yeah. on the other podcast, it was a 50-50 the first time we did it. Yeah. There's yeah. one win, yeah. one loss, and then one Quake, tie. Queek failed his re-roll is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that about wraps it up. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we hope you will uh, subscribe and listen to our next episode uh, coming in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.